The Metaphysical Connection, Episode 59, America's Stonehenge, is brought to you by our sponsors. The Trinity Whip Company, handcrafted whips by Blake Brunning. Incredible form as well as function. TrinityWhipCo.com We're also brought to you by Chester Cordite, modern vintage menswear inspired by the golden age of the 1930s and 40s. ChesterCordite.com Landron Artifacts is the place to go for your amazing wall reliefs that were inspired by set designs for motion pictures such as Raiders of the Lost Ark, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Aliens, and of course, the originals created by the Aztecs, Mayans, and Olmecs. Add ancient mystery and intrigue with his products by going to LandronArtifacts.com. Don't forget the friends of our show, Recreating History and Penman Hats. You can find out more about our sponsors and the Metaphysical Connection by going to our homepage, metaphysicalpodcast.com, or join our group, facebook.com slash groups slash the Metaphysical Connection. This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This is the Metaphysical Connection, Episode 59, America's Stonehenge. I'm your host, Carol Fisk. In this episode, Walt and Eric talk to Dennis Stone from America's Stonehenge in Salem, New Hampshire. The three discuss the age-defying location, who may have built it, how long ago, and its possible purposes. Here is some additional information excerpted from America's Stonehenge website that hopefully will provide some background to help you while in listening to the show. Built by a Native American culture? or a migrant European population, no one knows for sure. A maze of man-made chambers, walls, and ceremonial meeting places. America's Stonehenge is most likely the oldest man-made construction in the United States, over 4,000 years old. Like Stonehenge in England, America's Stonehenge was built by ancient people well-versed in astronomy and stone construction. It has been determined that the site is an accurate astronomical calendar. It was, and still can be, used to determine specific solar and lunar events of the year. Various inscriptions have been found throughout the site, including Ogham, Phoenician, and Iberian Punic script. Dr. Barry Fell of Harvard University did extensive work on the inscriptions found at the site. They are detailed in his book, America B.C. Thanks for listening, and as always, enjoy the show. So anyway, we have a very special guest that Walt is going to introduce here while we're here on location at American Stonehenge. So... Right. Our, our guest today is Dennis Stone. He was, he was kind enough to consent to do a podcast with us. I, after hearing his uh, great show on Coast to Coast, I, I contacted him and he, he kindly got back to me and, and we set up a time to, to do this. And uh, De- Dennis is, a, is an interesting guy. He's, he's the owner of Stonehenge. I think this has been in your family, right, for, for a couple generations anyway. And so he's, he's got a lot of connection to it in, in a lot of different ways other than it just you know, being a business, it's it's also part of his his family history and those kinds of things. So, um, with the with this being, I guess this could be our informal summer solstice show because we're mm. in the beginning of June now and sure. the solstice is coming up. So, and this will probably be broadcast around. Yes. So, so it's kind of kind of synchronicity, I guess. Um, so, what I want to do is is let Dennis just talk about himself a little bit and and what his what his history is and. And what the history of his family is with the site, and then then some of the interesting features of the site we'll get into. Um, 
So without further ado, I'm going to bring Dennis in and, and let him talk a little bit about what, what his history is and, and go from there. Thank you for joining us, by the way, Dennis. I'm just thrilled that we could be here and you welcomed us in, into uh, your cabin here. It's, uh, we actually have a sunny day, which is it's, it's quite awesome. unusual the last month or so. It is. So that's a good sign, I think. So let's start with the beginning with you and tell us about yourself and and um, and your interest in the paranormal and and all things metaphysical. Well, thank you for having me on, Walt and Erica. Thank you very much for coming up today. And it is a beautiful day. I think it's the it first is. beautiful it day is. we've had this season, actually. Um, yeah, I've been involved with this since uh, my dad actually um, first heard about this, and I was about a year old back in 1955. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to date myself, but it's been in our family now for almost 60 years. And um, it's kind of a generational thing. My son now, uh, his name is Kelsey. He's kind of involved with this. So three mm -hmm. generations of stone. Well, that's that's I think our last name is probably appropriate for this place. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was going to say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's a, well, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not a new joke. Yeah, not a new joke. Yeah. I think he's heard it, Walt. Yeah, we've heard it a few times yeah, yeah, over sure. the years. Yeah. People ask us often if we changed a name, you know, but mm -hmm. that's our name. Um, but um, it so happens, coincidentally or not, you know, we get involved with this site. So it's been a long time. Time. Um, I professionally was an airline pilot for 35 years, just retired about a year ago. But I was always involved with this place. Even on my days off, we'd be up here working. My wife has been part of this place since I met her in 1984. She was a professional. Mm -hmm. And she um, was um, a professional uh, working for uh, Chrysler Corporation. Um, and um, 1994, 93, I guess it was actually, she retired from there and she uh, has been working at the site as a manager. So it is definitely a family affair here. Mm -hmm. so it's our interest, it's our love, it's in our blood, I guess. <clears throat> yeah. Off in the background here, you can actually hear one of the, is the, that's the movie that usually plays right, that explains. It's introductory kind of movie that introduces yeah. the site. Yeah. So. And, and also just for our listeners to know that, that um, this is open to the public. And um, mm -hmm. we may hear some people come in and um, you may hear some foot traffic. And we, we might actually like pull someone aside and, and ask them what they think in, later in the show. No promises. Yeah, yeah that would be good. No yeah. promises. Give, give it a real live feel. Exactly. So. <laughs> So, now, um, now you're an air, airline airline pilot. Did you fly out of Manchester here? Or was I, it below yeah, I, I have at different times. I was based in Manchester. I was based in Portsmouth. Uh, based in Boston, Kennedy, and uh, LaGuardia, uh, Chicago, <laughs> and Louisville, Kentucky. Yes. So I've been based everywhere. Manchester was my favorite, though. So, oh, so close to home. Yeah, you did all domestic flights. Yeah, I do. Well, I did down to the Bahamas, up to Canada. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah we flew uh, all the way out west. You know, it was part of our. I worked for three different airlines. The last one got bought by American back in the late 90s, mm -hmm. and I retired from that. So 27 yeah. years at the last airline. So, yeah. so, so since this is the metaphysical connection, I can't help but ask... <laughs> Any any UFO sightings while you were flying? I know you put. You're retired now. You can you can tell us. Yeah, yeah. The truth can come out now, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't lose my job. I don't think. No, no. Yeah, I don't have a pension, so I can't lose that either. Um, well, uh, we did meet Betty Hill, and she became a friend of my mom's in the 1970s. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and I think the first time she came here was in 1974, and I think with her was Hans Holzer. And Hans Holtz is a gentleman who uh, wrote Ghost I Met. He's been on, like, Good Morning America. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. pretty famous. Uh, yeah. I think he passed away several years ago, and somebody tells me his daughter's carrying out his work. He brought up some 
famous psychic, and now we're talking 43, uh, 44 years ago, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to always recall who the psychic was, but he also wrote and directed um, Leonard Nimoy's uh, second show, which was on us, the In Search of series. So he actually, oh, right. yeah, I, and I, I didn't realize I, that was on. Yeah, and we were number two oh, out of 144. And, so now, was Leonard Nimoy actually here? Mm, I think he visited the site, but during the taping, uh, it was just the crew, uh, Hans Holzer, and they had some other people, but I think Leonard Nimoy did it out of studio for most of the series. Yeah. 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 But he did come did here. The, yeah. Did the over, over yeah, but he's from Boston, yeah. so, he, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 So that was pretty cool. Um, William Shatner just did a show on us about six years ago, Weird or What? And yeah. uh, they, they had uh, a company out of Canada, Sinflex, and they came down and they had like two vans, 21 people, looked like a movie operation going on. Yeah. But he wasn't here either. He, I think he did it all from studio, probably in California. No doubt. And yeah. so both Spock and Captain Kirk did a show on <laughs> us. In various times. Yeah. <laughs> various times, yeah, different times. And exactly. I, 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 won't, I won't burden you with my, my really bad William Shatner impression. Please, okay. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> so, so you notice, Eric, this uh, time. Dennis dodged that UFO yeah. question. He, yeah. <laughs> Coily. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my family he's, and everything. You know? Yeah, he's. Uh, any, any. Um, <laughs> we'll take that as a was yes. There any discussion? We'll take it as a yes. Yeah. I was abducted. Okay. Uh, any of your colleagues ever talk yeah. about anything? Oh sure, yeah. In fact, one of them back in the uh, it was a first airline I worked for, and out of the uh, Westchester area of New York, uh, there were sightings of UFOs, and it got on to like I think Newsweek. A lot mm -hmm. of different papers picked yeah, it up. Yeah. It, became, it was back around '83, '84, uh -huh. and there were triangle formations flying well they saw him from the air uh, it turns out there was some people out there with small planes uh, creating a hoax, but that may have not been what they mm -hmm. saw. They were sure. pretty adamant what they saw sure. was not some small planes well, flying around. So. Yeah, being a pilot, they would have. A, I would a hope of, that they would. Yeah, have. a lot of visual yeah. knowledge. Yeah. We know what airplanes look like yeah. pretty much, you know. Exactly. And, yeah. well, and let's just square people <laughs> away here because if you're a pilot, they work very hard to make sure that you're not a nutcase <clears throat> and that um, do you had military training, military background? Well, I tried to get into the military. Uh, I went through Pease Air Force Base and they found out I was a little bit color deficient. So the Air uh, Force wouldn't yeah. touch me. They said you can work ground, but you can't fly. So really, really disappointed that my, my grandfather actually was colorblind and I got mm -hmm. color deficiency. So. Yeah. Sure. And I also had a problem getting on with the major airlines back in the 80s because they had what they call no waivers. And I had a waiver of demonstrated ability that I could see the aviation colors, taxi lights, runway yeah, yeah, lights, yeah. and tail lights. But I, my eyes weren't perfect, so it took me many, many years. And in the 90s, the airlines started relaxing a lot of those rules. Okay. So I worked for uh, smaller airlines at the beginning, mm -hmm. and yeah. you, most of us do. And then it took me a while longer because some of the airlines back in the 80s I interviewed with said, yeah, no way it was accepted. You, you don't qualify. You know, right. They're very, very strict, almost like yeah. an astronaut kind of thing. But you know, we saw a lot of unusual things we flew. I flew a lot of night freight out of Louisville. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you see things in the sky. Sometimes it was a meeting. Sometimes it was Venus. You know, we saw that quite often. Oh, like, sure. oh, look at that. That's sure. the mother ship there. But but I think I think I, I do believe that there's extraterrestrial life, obviously. I mean, even yeah. the people that are involved with physics and astronomers and all of that say that there's 200 billion stars in our galaxy, 100 Alone. billion galaxies, yeah. and there's got to be those Goldilocks planets out there. And all they have to yeah. do is be a few thousand years ahead of us. Absolutely. They probably yeah. have the technology to visit mm -hmm. us. So I don't doubt that. There are mm -hmm. some people that just you know can't believe that somebody could visit us no. i think oh, it's very very possible system, yeah. but not everything we see is ufo but i think there are and betty hill you know her thing was kind of interesting you know yeah uh, you yeah. know it's kind of an yeah. interesting you know um uh well, fascinating well, that. That, that brings up another point too mm -hmm. new hampshire seems to be um mm -hmm. a, a place where a, where a lot of sightings yeah or you know reporting yes mm -hmm. and and i i wonder if some of some of the research i've done says that 
a lot of times um, sightings are around areas where there's certain geophysical qualities. Oh. Mm -hmm. Um, now, of course, we know New Hampshire is the granite state, so <laughs> yes. um, there's a lot of granite, obviously, yes. and, and granite does have a lot of magnetic properties and a lot of energy properties. I know yeah. uh, I happen to live near Mount Monadnock, mm. which is about an hour plus away from here. Well, and, maybe and, <clears throat> depends on who's driving. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that supposedly has um, what are called ley lines running oh. through it. Um, which, which are geographic lines of force. And why Monadnock is considered a power mountain, it was considered that by the Native Americans and yeah. other people, is because there's two ley lines that cross there. Um, I don't know, has, has, that ever, has that discussion ever come up around uh, this, this area? Or? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned UFOs too, and I know yeah. that some of these sites, like the ones I mentioned down in New York with the, the pilots back in the 80s, that's mm -hmm. where about 200 of these um, stone chambers exist. Putnam mm -hmm. County, Westchester County, mm -hmm. uh, going and further west into Monticello, near Woodstock, Bethel, right. New York. There's some incredible sites down there, but they have seen down in that area is where they saw a lot of UFOs, and actually mm -hmm. UFO Hunter on History Channel yep. actually showed uh, a couple of these chambers that, that, and we've been in this business since the 50s. I, my dad was alive at the time. It was in the late, about 2009, I think mm -hmm. it was, and I said, I called my dad up, said, check this out on, uh, on History Channel. There's one of the chambers. It's got a beautiful monologue right in front of the chamber and they're saying that there's a lot of UFO activity in that area you know mm -hmm. so that how that's how it made it yeah. on there but yeah ley lines uh, people have been up here dowsing um, there was a gentleman named Sig Longren he was from Vermont he's over in Europe now he's been over there he moved there permanently sure sure he was doing tours over there of uh, some of the uh, different sites over there and the sites that are mm -hmm. on ley lines you know yeah mm -hmm. and I actually have a book upstairs 1927 Alfred Watkins and it's called the straight track I think the old straight track I think it's called and it's one of the original books and he was a guy that really kind of got into the ley line yeah, theory almost yeah. 100 years ago mm -hmm. and i also have a book from 19 a booklet from 1978 called the ley hunter and uh uh there's a couple different, three different gentlemen. Edward Krupp from the Griffith Observatory. He talks about some of the sites that are in this country that are kind of lined up astronomically. Mm -hmm. Francis Hitching, he's in there, and he's visited this site, I've too. Heard, I've heard of him. He's pretty yeah. famous, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he talks about this site. And then there was a third gentleman, and I'll think of his name in a minute. He's another gentleman that's well-known, too. But uh, this site here, they show, they douse the walls, and they say that the walls are over where water flows, and these are mm -hmm. all kind of That's where the dows that's yeah. dowsing, energy yeah. comes in, yeah. Yeah, and the other ones would be the ley lines, which are straight. And I was looking at the map. They showed, like, a couple maps of this hill. And this was 40 years ago. And the curved ones are the water, the straight ones are the ley lines. And uh, some of the straight ones go right off our astronomical alignments. You know, my son Kelsey was looking at uh, Google Earth five years ago. Yeah. And he's looking at the summer solstice sunrise. And he followed it out over Maine, across the, uh, Canada, into Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia area, and then he went across the Atlantic just for kicks. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, the line went straight right across, and it came out in southern England. And so he changed the scale. And he's been to Stonehenge a couple of times. He said, gee, that's kind of in the area of Stonehenge, I think. And as yeah. he blew up the map, sure enough, he got into Sol Salisbury, the plain there. And then he saw actually Stonehenge. And as he blew it up more, he noticed that the line went right through the largest trilithon, the horseshoe-shaped pattern with the uh -huh. largest trilithon. Mm -hmm. Right. On, a line goes right through there. Well, that 1978 book, The Lay Hunter, that's one of the lines that yes. they picked out, yes. you know, coincidentally or yes. not. That's, that's real interesting. I don't cool. think it's coincidental. It 
yeah, is, yeah. yeah. And this yeah. is something 40 years apart by two I, different people. Before we go mm. any further here, I think that what a lot of people are going to want to know is what is America's Stone Edge? What what is what what is this location for for yeah. for people who who aren't able to to see what we're seeing yeah. right now? Well, uh, we're located in uh, southern New Hampshire, mm-hmm. about 40 miles north of Boston. The ocean's about 20 miles away. Yep. And we're in North Salem, which is part of Salem, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Only a couple miles from Route 93. We're halfway between Concord, New Hampshire, and Boston, the two capitals. Sure. Uh, the hill's about 360 feet above sea level, and it does have a name. It's called Mystery Hill. And before my dad got involved with it, it was just a hill, no name. It's funny. Sure, it was a, sure. kind of unusual. All, all the hills around here were named. Yeah. But yeah. my dad got involved with this in 1955. He opened it to the public. Uh, again, another interesting coincidence, it was on the summer solstice of 1958. Yep. And I only discovered that just about a year or two ago, going through his files. I had forgot that was the actual yeah. opening date. Yeah. So that was coincidental or by intent? <sighs> Probably, I think it had know. to be coincidental because yeah. it wasn't until 1967 that we actually got uh, involved with the research on the astronomical alignments. So we did not know about the astronomical alignments at all back in 1958, 57, mm-hmm. 55, when my dad got involved with this. So he opens it up in the summer solstice. But it's a Complex of stone structures. These stone structures are um, cover about the main site covers about one acre, yeah. and there's many different structures on that one acre. Uh, there's, there's underground drains. There's drains carved through the bedrock. It's like a whole network of storm drains. Above these drains are built the stone chambers. Dry stone construction. No cement was used. Large roof slabs, and that's one of the things that is different from what our colonial fathers and forefathers did. Right. These, they built big walls, even at Canterbury Shaker Village, but then they put wooden superstructures on top, carriage mm-hmm. houses, barns, houses, yeah. meeting halls so on top. like foundations almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And these actually are the, the walls of the structure with large stones that some of them weigh uh, up to 14 tons, mm-hmm. almost 30,000 pounds. The walls themselves are composed of bedrock. The bedrock was stripped. And the, this is what they use for building material, strip bedrock mm-hmm. to build the walls. It's called fractured stone. And some of the uh, walls have windows, stone windows in them. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Oracle Chamber is a great example. It's shaped like a big Y. It's about 30 feet, runs north and south with a branch that runs to the east. The east branch has core building, that inverted staircase kind of stonework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You find that in Irish sites and beehive chambers of Ireland. Uh, the main part of it, though, runs north and south, true north and south, not magnetic. And it has... This structure has five closets made out of stone. It has two underground drains. It has two carvings, a deer mm-hmm. carving, and it has an arrow carving. It had one entrance with a large lintel stone. In the 1920s, the town of Salem thought the structure was dangerous. One of the roof slabs had cracked inside. Kids sure. were playing in it. So they destroyed the front of the structure by lowering that lintel stone and blocking the, the entrance to the structure. Okay, yeah. A little bit later, in the 1940s, a gentleman named... Uh, Junius Bird from the American Museum of Natural History from New York was doing some work around the big front of that structure, and he took the rest of the the uh, stones on the very entrance of it down. Yeah. But most of the structure is still there today, and it has a bed made out of stone. It has a tube that goes through to the sacrificial table. The sacrificial table is a very interesting feature. It looks like a bell, and it weighs mm-hmm. about 9,000 pounds, sits up on four legs, and it has a groove we always thought was rectangular. Yeah. It's actually trapezoidal in shape. We measured it recently, and it doesn't come out to inches and feet or rods or yards. Mm -hmm. What comes out to is a megalithic unit. Uh, A megalithic unit, uh, uh, either a megalithic yard, rod, fathom, or something they discovered in Europe, and a guy named Dr. Alexander Tom. Okay. He'd been working on these sites since the 1930s. He passed away in 1985. He's the father of Mm acuo-astronomy, and his son, Dr. 
Uh, his son is Dr. Uh, Archibald Tom, and the grandson is still carrying out the work. Uh, they worked on sites all over Europe, and they found this unit of measure. Um, it's about 32 inches, 0.64. In the 1970s, I was making a diorama of the site, and we went out and measured a couple structures, because a gentleman from MIT was here in the 1930s, and he was here with Mr. Goodwin, the first researcher. Mm -hmm. he, laid, he did a plane table, both profile and plan view of the site. And he measured the structures, and he said, he, he was pretty good at measuring, he was an engineer, and he says, you know, I can't figure out what unit of measure was used to build this site up here, what we call America Stonehenge. It's not inches, it's not yards, it's not feet. And he, uh, he passed away, I forget his, when he passed away, but he never did know what unit of measure was used to build the site. It wasn't something that our forefathers would use. So in the 70s, we kind of got a clue that maybe it's something megalithic. We were aware of the mm -hmm. megalithic yard at that time. But recently, we started measuring some of the chambers, the sacrificial mm -hmm. table, the groove on the table. And some of the chambers are trapezoidal in shape also. And this is true of some of the megalithic sites of England. But that megalithic yard, I think, might be a clue to us that there may be visitations from the old world to the new world. Uh, there's this boulder down in New York, in North Salem, New York. It's called uh, North Salem Dolmen. And they did some measuring on that, the legs, and they seem to be megalithic too. So this mm -hmm. seems to be reoccurring over here. We're going to have to do, I think, laser scanning on the site. Mm -hmm. Like they did at Machu Picchu in the last, I think, two years. They actually went there with all that equipment they set up. They got extremely accurate measurements of every structure down there. I think we need to do that here, but it's a matter of money and getting the people that can do this. Yeah, now, <clears throat> of course, the obvious question <clears throat> is you're talking about <clears throat> megalithic measure, units of measurement. How old do people think this structure is? Yeah, the date on the site is about 4,000 years. So, mm. so I think it's I think it's We're a two two thousand BC. Right, correct. It's, yep. it's a yep. little pre-Columbian, I think. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in within that megalithic, you know, window over in Europe. Uh, actually, Goblecki, I'm going to mispronounce it. Everybody mispronounces <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it's, I, I mean, it's a tongue twister. It's, yeah, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> but the one in Turkey is about eleven thousand six hundred. Goblecki so Tempe. Yeah, yeah, thank you. No, it's Goblecki Tepe. Goblecki. It's Yeah, Tepe. Yeah. See, everybody mispronounces. Well, I say it differently every time too, yes so. <laughs> yes but it's about 11 almost 12,000 years old mm -hmm. and we thought megalithic sites went from oh, about oh, wait, oh, I'm sorry no oh, this site is 12,000 well, years well the one over in Turkey is that? About, go back oh, oh yeah. okay don't okay. ask me to say that word again okay <laughs> but that's about almost 12,000 years old but uh, we used to think that the megalithic sites uh, you know I, I knew a Stonehenge growing up and then I became aware there are other sites besides Stonehenge sure. mm -hmm. today we know of about 50,000 megalithic sites in Western Europe and then find out another interesting fact is they go into to Russia by the Black Sea. They mm -hmm. continue into China, India, and Korea. The peninsula had about 100,000 megalithic sites. They were in South America. They're in Australia, which I just found out recently. There's one called the uh, Aussie Stonehenge. Yeah. And But the dating on these went from the Neolithic into the Bronze Age, and they stopped building these magnificent stone. They went into some other kind of, you know, mm -hmm. work. But these magnificent, uh, what do they call, uh, stone structures, um, they stopped doing this around 1500 BC, and that date is a little bit variable. The Bronze Age right. is a little different, but around that time yeah. they stopped yeah. building this. But we thought they went back to about 6,000 years old, uh, like Malta has some of the oldest ones, and you mentioned before some of these precede, you know, mm -hmm. predate the yeah. uh, pyramids. Right. But the one in Turkey goes back almost 7,000 years earlier than Stonehenge and the Great Pyramid. Right, yes. So it's a, this period is a, maybe a, a, a much longer period of time of building yeah. these sites, yeah. you know? They've even, um, <clears throat> they've even rethought the, the age of the Sphinx and, and the Great mm. Pyramid now because of they've, they've noticed that there's water erosion on that. And 
you know, obviously Egypt. Mm. Oh yeah, yes. Ha- yeah. Has no uh, weather that would cause that kind of thing. It's dry. Yeah. So now yeah. they're 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 yeah. starting to push the date for that back. You know, to I think like six or I know uh, William Shock uh, and. Um, Who's the other guy, Eric, that did the study on that? He's an Egyptian guy. I'm going to remember it as soon as I get in the car, yeah, Walt. I can't remember his name. They're, they're a team kind of, and they, and they, they dated that, and, and they, they came up with a much earlier date than what was the Egyptologists That's were saying. That's yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, something that, that Eric and I are, are, are sort of uncovering in our own minds anyway is, is that there seems to have been some kind of a, a civilization that mm-hmm. predates uh, an advanced mm. civilization, not not a Stone Age civilization, mm. but a civilization that was capable of creating these vast structures like Gobekli Tepe and things like that. In South America too, right? Yeah. And and as we talked about yeah. before we started doing the show, that that period of time, um, archaeologists and anthropologists are, are dating that as human the human race being hunter gatherers. Now you know these are people that are basically living in caves and living you know off whatever they can forage and hunt and these are not people that would put any energy into building you know magnificent structures like that so you have to wonder especially with stones that weigh 14 Mm -hmm. tons right you have to wonder how that happened you know what was going on at that time that we don't know about and I think that may apply here too. You know what? Yeah. Like some, there, I mean, there's some big stones here. How did how yeah. did those get moved? How did they very, move them? Very you know? very large. Yeah, I know they. I mean, historians like to think linear. You know, from simple to complex, from old to new, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of been a straight line. You know, right. no. up right. to civilization yeah. Yeah. today. Right. But there's been dark ages, and you know, yeah. probably much more advanced mm-hmm. that we don't than it, like you mentioned that we even know about. You right. know, and it's right. just starting to come where we see places like Goblecky. <laughs> but anyway, places like that that are actually, you know, ancient people weren't supposed to be. And, and uh, extremely uh, complex. They I mean, didn't have the ability. Yeah, very complex to outwork. Major, major, major oh, yeah. site. Yeah, Astronomical. Think, for my money, that's really the smoke and gun of yeah. the fact that yeah. there was something that predated what we think of as history. I think you know? used to call them Upas, <clears throat> out of place archaeological artifact in time, too. You know, this thing mm-hmm. shouldn't be that far back and that, yeah, that advanced. Yeah. It should not mm-hmm. be like that, you know. Um, but this site here, yeah, the stones are very large. Uh, we just lost a gentleman that's been with us since 1978. He spent a lot of time in Europe during the early 70s, in England mm-hmm. particularly, doing restoration of megalithic sites and medieval uh, structures for the British government. And then he came over here, and he was with us from 78 up to last year when we lost him. Mm-hmm. But he was a stonemason. He was a uh, 32nd degree Freemason, your ah, rights. That, mm-hmm, that's and, interesting. And he got a doctorate in historical anthropology, a doctorate in theology, mm-hmm. and, and he recorded music, played like several instruments, including the bagpipe. He played that pretty well, because that can be played pretty bad, you yeah. know, but he yeah. can like, play like that. A, a, a cat, a <laughs> cat <laughs> being stepped on. Yeah, yeah. somebody died, or a cat died. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, but he was very, very talented, and he was involved with the New Hampshire Humanities, New Hampshire Archaeological Society, New England mm-hmm. Antiquities Research. But uh, one of his things, he really was fascinated was the way they quarried the stone up here, how they quarried the stone, how did they separate the bedrock, these flat slabs of stone, how mm-hmm. did they actually do that? And he thought that they probably worked uh, fishes and little cracks in the bedrock, and they were somehow able to raise the bedrock up, and then in the early 80s, he told our staff, he said, now, when you're up in the woods, look around and see if you can find any example of the big, these big slabs, like the roof slabs, the wall slabs, the astronomical monoliths, mm-hmm. sacrificial mm-hmm. table type stones, out in the woods, 
maybe where they were actually quarrying it from and they just didn't remove you know they got to the point of lifting the stone up and leaving it there maybe yeah. that mm -hmm. kind of thing and sure enough uh, 1982 one of our staff members her name was Mary she was up there she was having a little lunch on a stone way out in the middle of the woods at that time and she looked down and she noticed uh, and Dave also mentioned if you look at these stones you might see where they were actually shaped like an arrowhead the little serrated edges where they were actually striking them because that's true of our roof slabs that are on the site so the stones have been worked they've been worked they've dressed been worked. or worked yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and she happened to notice by you know down by her leg she's looking and sees uh, the stone has kind of a little scalloping to it and it kind of caught her eye she got off she looked at it and she re realized the stone had been raised and it was a a chunk of stone underneath it holding it up mm -hmm. so she brought it to David uh, Stuart Smith's attention and he said huh that's interesting so the next year they got they excavated the front of it and they found they cleared it you could see the propping stone you could see that the stone was once part of the bedrock where it yeah. was attached yeah. and actually there's little flakes of stone where they had been bashing it with a stone hammer all the little uh, what they call them spallings I guess were laying on the bedrock so somebody at one time had raised it propped it and they were dressing the stone and they were getting it prepared to perhaps move to the site to build more structures and since that time we found about almost 30 more of these some of these are located over a thousand feet from the main site wow. and some of these are probably you know several tons these are some gigantic slabs but before Dave passed away, he says, I still don't know how they were able to separate the bedrock. Because if I told somebody to go out, I need a stone 10 by 10, and you go out and you look at the bedrock, you know, how do you actually get that 10 by 10? Even if you get a bigger mm -hmm. piece and bring it down, it's still a difficult process, you know? The picture that you just sort of painted there, it, it gives me the impression that they were in the midst of building something, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, they just up and quit. That's what it sounds like to me. You Am picked I up on that. You picked on that. That's excellent. Yeah, you picked right up on that because uh, we got the chills once we saw how many of these stones are out there and I just found another one last week I just found another one it's a and I wish Dave could see it. it's a beautiful looks like a roof slab Mm -hmm. big kind of oval stone it has a stone right in the front of it and what occurred to us is just exactly what you said they were in the midst of building the site and then something happened and they walked we thought the site might have been almost complete and then over time it was abandoned it looks like they had a bigger project mm -hmm. something bigger mm -hmm. in their mind seems, seems extensive yeah, yeah. it's almost yeah. as if they built like a, a, a small like a work camp this is like a work camp that they had built for whatever it is that they were working on or a small model of what they were working on. They were yep. es they were escalating the excavation, as it were. And then they just up and they just left. And that's the uh, $64 question. You know, yeah. where did they go? What happened to mm -hmm. them? The other and thing who is, were they? And who were they? Yeah, yeah. and where did they come from? You and know, this is 2,000 years yeah. before Christ. Before mm -hmm. Christ, yeah. Um, there are other sites in New England, as I mentioned. You know, they mm -hmm. number over 800, and they go into New York, New Jersey. And uh, there are other sites across the landscape, all the way out to, out to uh, Colorado and down to Georgia, too. Mm -hmm. There's some interesting stonework. And I just had a gentleman from Missouri. And he was, he, this guy traveled the world. He just lost his wife, and he's been everywhere. He was over in the uh, Scarabray recently, yeah, you know. Yeah. And he was just out in uh, Cahokia Mountain State Park. And he was over in, um, he's been to a lot of the European sites. And he was talking about Graham Hancock, too. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, we uh, talked about that. Andrew, we started. Yeah, Andrew Collins and all these mm -hmm. guys, and some of the books. He was just finishing up those books too, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he said uh, out in Missouri, he said we have stonework out there too that's fascinating. And I, he says it's not colonial, it's not post-colonial, it's it's prehistoric, you know. Mm -hmm. I said I did see a picture of uh, one of the structures out there. It looks like one of our chambers. We call the chamber in ruins up here. It look just 
like it in the photograph. The only difference I noticed in the picture, it didn't have the large roof slabs. I don't mm -hmm. know what they covered it with, mm -hmm. but the New England sites, they seem to use uh, roofs made out of gigantic slabs of stone, you know? Yeah. But the walls themselves, the shape of the structure, look like our chamber, except for the roof, you know? Very, very similar. I, I, my mind always goes to how did they move these things? You know, yeah. even if they, even if they had to just move it, you know, ten feet to get it up on a support of some kind. How, how did they do that? I mean, you, they had no technology. You, that, you also have to um, stop and think for a second for about the infrastructure that they must have needed, because if we're talking about hunter-gatherers, mm -hmm. this is a, a period in time where everybody worked. Or nobody ate. Everybody had to that participate. That was their main focus was surviving. Just you know, surviving. So, so if we're talking about, <clears throat> if we're talking about, they must have had a background support system that must have been supporting them and feeding them and taking care of all the other necessities of life back at the time. Mm -hmm. And apparently, this is not possible in this region of the of of the world. Yeah, before Columbus, we know, New it's not the easiest place to live. Four thousand know, years ago, tough, and, and mm -hmm. you have to put a lot of pre-thought into how you, how to survive. And, yeah. and these these sites were obviously not intended to be survival mechanisms, at least from, from what I can see. Anyway, they were they were intended to be some kind of either, either religious sites or or some way to observe the stars or or all of the above. Yeah, know, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you're chasing your, if you're just out there fishing or chasing game around the landscape, I don't know how you would have time to, to think of, even, to think, even about think about that. think right. about doing right. it. Yeah, because you mm -hmm. had, and these guys are pretty expert at doing stone masonry construction. You know, right. so that took time too to develop those skills. You know, mm -hmm. but um, I think the site probably is a ceremonial site. You know, I, we think, um, and we no sign of habitation because um, usually a lot of these sites are weren't intended for habitation. They were intended for exactly whatever their that's Thoughts a were, great know, point. Yeah, I know. The, <clears throat> and they, every time the archaeologists dig on the sites in Western Europe, the megalithic sites, yeah. they're pretty clean archaeologically. They have to go away from them to find right. the habitat right. site, the midden, the trash. Live, they the didn't actually live in the site. Yeah, yeah they kept them clean <clears throat> like we keep our churches mm -hmm. kind of clean, you know. Um, so that it's difficult for archaeologists uh, working on, like, Stonehenge. They'll find a few artifacts. They'll find mm -hmm. the ashes from the cremation. But they're pretty, pretty clean, you know. And uh, they, they must pull their hair out of the head because they'll do these incredible excavations over mm -hmm. there and find just a few little tools utensils uh, like in st they have the chalky soil over there to Stonehenge so they make the uh, bank and ditches like around Avebury Stonehenge and all mm -hmm. those you know yeah. they yeah. had to use like the shoulder blades of uh, perhaps deer they use the antlers of deer to get through that chalk that stuff's like digging in cement but they'll find some of those tools left behind it, but it doesn't tell the whole story of these right. people you know right. just a couple implements you know they don't find yeah. all the household mm -hmm. goods are not there so we do think the site probably is a religious site they kept it, and we think the walls surrounding it probably were like a ceremonial walls, or whatever you want to call them. This is the area that's sacred, and mm -hmm. outside of that, the people, and that's where we think the people live, probably down the hill near the rivers. The Spicket River runs mm -hmm. into the Merrimack, and recently at the Merrimack, uh, 2010. Uh, in Newburyport, they're putting in a construction. I think it was a house, and they found a Phoenician coin coming out of the ground down there. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. I know you mm. have some. We, we've talked in, in previous shows about anomalies that sort of mm. just show yeah. up in places where they. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. love those. Well, we yeah. love those. So, how did a Phoenician coin get 
Good question. In, yeah, in New Hampshire. Yeah. You know, How yeah, old I mean, was the was the coin? Uh, you know, I don't know what I don't know what time period it was. I uh, exactly. I think it was before the. Uh, you know, it's probably a few hundred BC, and I think in the article it probably mentions it, but I sure. cannot recall. That, that it was sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, and I mean they've been found in um, uh, Waterbury, Connecticut. I was just reading about Phoenician coins found down there. Mm-hmm. They're also found in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. The one I just mentioned at near the mouth of the Merrimack, and in Beverly, Mass, uh, near the seashore, they found all these Roman coins uh, back. It's in a book called New England's Ancient Mysteries by Robert Cahill. He has a nice picture of some of the Roman Mm -hmm. coins. They've been found out in Tennessee along major rivers and tributaries. But these things, again, are upas, out-of-place artifacts. They shouldn't really be there, you know? And and then people say, well, some collector dropped them there. I don't know about collectors walking (laughs) along the beach dropping their coins. A Phoenician coin? I mean, really, something that's That's precious. kind of highly unlikely. Yeah, you know. You know, I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at these (laughs) people. I mean, you, you, you listen to some of these people with some of their crazy explanations like like Walt and I did a show a little while back on on strange artifacts on the moon and that there's this one on the far side of the moon facing away from earth there is something that looks like like um uh, one of those steam collectors oh. for the atomic plant and it's like well oh well that's a natural formation it's perfectly cylindrical and it, you know yeah, I mean, yeah. Do you have, nature doesn't always do you have Phoenician coins in the museum here? Uh, no, we have Phoenician writing, though. The writing, that's the writing, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Those Phoenician, yeah, that's it. That's yeah it. Libyan yeah. and Celtic, and they're found from Maine all the way down to Brazil, all the way out to the West Coast, basically. Was this oh. found here? Mm-hmm. But these are found here, and yeah. the two of them were found in that chamber in ruins. That's an interesting structure. It's yeah. right in the middle mm-hmm. of our site. It, the roof slab is about 6,000 pounds. It's collapsed on top of a lintel, which is about 1,000 pounds, right mm-hmm. over the doorway. So yeah. both of the, the whole roof is basically collapsed on that structure. So in 64, they wanted to get these stones out, but they didn't have the equipment, the resources. Sure, sure. They did put up a hoist, and it was a peerless hoist. I remember it was in the tree for a long time, but it did not do the job. So the stone stayed there, but they did get a chance to clean around the chamber a little bit. Right. And they found two triangular-shaped stones, and they had markings on them, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was quite a surprise. So they put them on display in the building for about 11 years, and in 1975, Dr. Barry Fell from Harvard University first came up here, and he looked at them. He took them back to Islington, Mass., where he lived, and he studied them, and he said, well, one's Phoenician, and it says uh, that that structure, the Chamber in Ruins, is a sun temple dedicated to Baal, or Baal, on mm-hmm. behalf of the Canaanites, which the Phoenicians were the Canaanites. Right. And uh, the second one was Libyan, and that one was very, uh, the, the, it, was, it was broken, and the print, it was hard to read the letters on it. It was very worn. That's interesting, yeah. 1967, they found another stone near the entrance, and that seems to be kind of like just a design, and it wasn't really uh, an inscription. Mm-hmm. But 1975, when Barry Fell was with us, um, one of our people, along with myself, we were cleaning an area called the Paddy area. And in one of the walls, we picked up, it's, now we're looking at things a little closer, and we happened to see this stone. It had looked like tic-tac-toe board on it. So we, we didn't know what it was. We showed it to uh, some of the researchers here. They showed it to Barry Fell, and Barry Fell said, well, it's a Celtic sun symbol, you know? So, so let me just reiterate here <laughs> and make sure that everybody is on the same page here. We are talking about pre-Columbian, 1492, pre Columbia sails the ocean blue artifacts that were here, Phoenicia coins from around the world that were found underneath rocks, giant slabs, slabs that we can even hardly move ourselves with all of our modern um, diesel powered hydraulic machines. So let's stop and think about this. We can't, we can't even move these rocks 
today with the technology that we have and yet these primitive people were able to do it well that's yeah that's where my mind always goes to yeah how, how that how, how could that happen yeah. and why would they do that if yeah. it was just, do you have any theories on how they could have done that or is it did, did any of those people that, yeah, that visited here have any theories about yeah that? there's a lot of opinions and theories uh you know um these big they probably use simple machinery according to some of the people like uh, log rollers uh levers and inclined planes that's what they would say about the pyramids yeah too, but right I, I, so I we really don't know yeah. yeah and anything made if they made any of their machinery out of something like wood it would it would have mm -hmm. gone a long time ago you know and there's no diagrams mm -hmm. by the ancient people yeah. so it's kind of left to uh people's imagination right. and dave stewart smith did try to demonstrate some of this but oftentimes he'd end up getting his winch out there you know his uh, many ton winch to move the stone because they're All using law right. you know uh, using pry bars and they did try to recreate some of the you know some of the mm -hmm. what they what these people would have used for technique but it was difficult and it was also quite dangerous you know and obviously these people that built the site they probably hurt themselves but they were really they were experienced at doing this you know mm -hmm. i'm sure there was injuries too you know while they were doing yeah it. But, but but where did where did these mm. pre-industrial people get the metal to make the metal probe bars i mean uh, i i always have to think that there was some kind of technology at work that we don't know about yeah, yeah. you know that's yeah. been lost which is um, it's a mystery it's a, you know yeah. you, you mentioned the masons yeah. uh that one gentleman that was a mason well the masons have brought um the knowledge of how to work in stone from ancient times you know mm. from egypt and maybe even before back maybe. further than yeah. that yeah so you know there was a yeah. lot of that going on many 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 years into the into the past and a lot of the stuff a lot of the techniques they use may not even have survived you right, know, we, right we don't know you know and then then you get into the whole now we get kind of into the metaphysical connection part. yes yeah. but yeah. um you know there's there's thinking that people um, we're able to use vibration and frequency mm. mm -hmm. to, oh, to move yeah. heavy objects. There was a guy that um, built a, it's called the Coral Castle oh, in, yeah. in yeah. Florida. Yeah. Have you heard oh, yeah. about that? Yeah, where, I've been there. Where, yeah. Where, yeah. Oh, you have been there? Yeah, okay. a couple times. Yeah. I, I'd like to go there. I haven't been there, but Pretty I've, I've yeah. seen pictures cool. of it. Yeah. Um, so supposedly he was employing some kind of technology that... Um, I think he, he made mention of it as being ancient technology from Egypt or yeah. something. Yeah. And and who knows if that's not how they built the pyramids. It was all you know, done we, in secrecy, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Know, yeah. So, yeah. There was yeah. a few kids that yeah. eavesdropped on him on uh, him one night and they and they said that he was making strange sounds and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So oh, teenagers. Oh, that's teenagers, interesting. They, ah. they kind of snuck in there and watched yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he never shared with anybody yeah. how he did it. And he, you know, he took that to his grave with him, unfortunately. So... Who knows? You know, we, there's you one picture with a pole with some sort of a. You ever see the photograph down there? It's some sort of like a telephone pole. It might have been a tripod or something, but sure. it had like a box on top of it, and it's one of those unidentified. What is that thing on there? You know. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So and he was a he small was, man too. He, he wasn't. Was he an engineer or something? Or oh, um, gosh, I forget his background. They tell you down there at the museum what yeah, his background he, was. Yeah, he was. And, uh, you he know, had you know. some crude tools and things, but he had a little pickup truck. You nothing know, truck, that would yeah. account for what he was able to do. Right, oh, fifty-ton stones. stones and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So you have yeah. to wonder. Yeah. What the heck yeah. was he? So doing, maybe he you know? knew. Maybe he had the ancient uh, way of doing it. Yeah. Would it be neat to meet him and talk to him about this? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that he's not, <laughs> not accessible know. anymore. I know. Wouldn't would that be, be wonderful? Yeah. 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 So how did you do it? <laughs> yeah. So now I get the impression that you, you now do you actually live here on the premise or? Well, no. We actually live uh, on the, on the other side of the hill. In 1985, I was given one of my buddies, who's still an airline captain, instru uh -huh. uh, instrument instruction. It was a beginning yep. of his his learning and, and right. training. And my wife was in the back of the 
plane doing some photos of this uh, hill, of this mm -hmm. of our hill here, because you were doing some uh, instrument approaches into Nashville, but some of the approaches start over in this area here. Okay. And you start getting, you get vectored in by uh, air traffic control. And so she goes, they're putting in a road next to our uh, property there. And so the next day she ran down, she uh, got a hold of the uh, builders and mm -hmm. she, the house, initially what we wanted, a house abutting this property. said, oh, the one across the street's available. And my wife goes, well, that won't do any good because we'd have to go through the neighbor's yard. So they called back later and says, that, that property for some reason all of a sudden suddenly is available so he bought two acres so we don't mm -hmm. live on the property right. but we have two acres that are but the property we bought in mm -hmm. 1985 and we have wood roads that go right to a house okay so, so we're right. here we're kind of here you know so, so do, you, do you have any plans to to turn this into say um i don't know like a a national to protect it somehow yeah. so it doesn't get um too commercialized or, yeah. or you know that happens to things well I was worried about the future I have only yeah. one son and you know mm -hmm. if something ever happened you know you want you know I'm worried about him obviously but also yeah. what would happen because we you know we want this place to stay kind of like it is you know yeah, but with more research yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, actually that gentleman from Pennsylvania that that uh, Oculus astronomer Dr. Winkler he was trying to get us on the National Register of Historic Sites mm. which adds a little bit more protection yeah, a little right, more awareness right, right. You know? yeah exactly uh, maybe yeah. credibility because sites always been a, you know, a lot of uh, people you know the site's been a little bit of a controversy for many yeah, many years skeptics yeah. skeptics yeah mm -hmm. so to but to get it you know nationally recognized and he went you have to go through the state of New Hampshire and then goes to Washington right and he's an academic at Penn State for 30 years and he goes mm -hmm. oh my god the red tape you know you think he'd be used yeah. to that kind of thing and he says and unfortunately he suddenly passed away on us I think in 2001 I think so it was it kinda, and it, it never yeah, yeah. kind of dropped it kind of got dropped yeah and the other one was the UNESCO World Heritage Site but you know sure, the, sure. Uh, you know the um, and I just read this recently and, I, and I'm still reading about the uh, the Great Serpent Mountain in Ohio out in Peebles Ohio mm -hmm. uh, that I think is on the National Register Historic Sites but they have not since 2008 been able to get on the UNESCO World Heritage Site Mm -hmm. which would join Stonehenge and the pyramids mm -hmm. and all these sites. Mm -hmm. It's I think it's been in the works for about eight years now, or almost nine years. It may have happened recently, and maybe I'm looking at something from last year. Right, right. But as of, like, say, last year, they still hadn't got it. It's been this approval process. takes mm -hmm. for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be That's a great anything idea. With, anything yeah. with the government. Government, yeah, you know, yeah bureaucracy, kind of very slow. Yeah. But once it's on, it's really kind of a good thing. I yeah, think. yeah, oh, yeah, so, I think yeah, it should be yeah. protected, you know, because yeah. if it's not, then who knows what could Bulldozers, happen. Bulldozers, houses. Well, it's amazing that it... Didn't you know, it didn't suffer too much damage over the over time uh, when yeah. before somebody was actually looking after it you know yeah, the did, patio. It, did it just sit there just sit here was it just yeah kind well, of sitting here dormant and for some years it was yeah was the Patty family yeah it was part of the Haverhill Mass and the Haverhill proprietors controlled it mm -hmm. and then in 1734 which is fairly early a guy named uh, Seth Patty bought a piece of the land on the hill yep we don't think it included the main site but it included mm -hmm. maybe part of the where the alignments are uh, ten years later he bought another piece of land in 1740. 44 and Seth Patty uh, he was a third generation of the Patties over here there's Peter Richard and mm -hmm. Seth they were all shoemakers and then his son Seth Jr. was a shoemaker mm -hmm. and his son Jonathan was a shoemaker and Jonathan we talk an awful lot about but the after 1750 this so is they now, were soul brothers <laughs> yeah soul brothers yeah <laughs> we do, but the patty family you know they, they were here for a long time and they uh they were shoemakers and they had domesticated animals but i think after 1750 that's when the town of salem was incorporated 
um, <laughs> that uh, they started building houses in this area, and that's when Seth, or maybe his son Seth, built a house on top of the main site, and that caused some damage. They actually built it. Oh, over. is that what? It, oh, yeah. There's a courtyard, that's, and the that's court, interesting. yeah, and the courtyard's bisected by a wall that they built. You can see it's all little small little rocks right. compared to so the it's much different, different, than the construction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they modified that whole area. It was kind of a courtyard with buildings surrounding it. But they were practical New England settlers, and they took advantage of what was already there. Oh, yeah. And so Seth may have built a house or a, or a son. We really don't know which mm -hmm. one built the house. But Jonathan bought, uh, got the land in 1802 from his mother in a quick claim. So it looks like, the, you know, at least Jonathan's parents, the right. second Seth, was mm -hmm. up there living. And then Jonathan had two sons and four daughters. He's often accused of having six husky sons that helped him build the entire complex. So that's one theory, you know. But, sure, sure. but the site was all built by the Patty family. They had oh, you're saying to, that they built it? The whole, oh, uh, thousands wow. of acres. Uh, thousands wow. of, Highly unlikely. Yeah, hundred over 110 acres with thousands of feet of walls, all these structures and all these cord stones. And we keep finding more of them, so they were even more uh, industrious that's than we thought. That's a Patty family myth, I think. That's a, that's a lot of work <laughs> for little, just a couple yeah. of must have been some big decades signs, yeah. or and, and one son died as a teenager, so he wasn't even able to he wasn't help. Even in the he, he wasn't even in the mix hey, to really help that one. Hey, maybe we, maybe that's what happened to him. I, I wanted to ask you. I wanted to get back a little bit to the mm. Um, mm. to some of the structures that are out there. The um, you, you said they. Uh, I, I guess it's considered to be a sacrificial slab or table or. Um, what, how do you refer to what do you yeah. refer to that as? Yeah, it's been called the sacrificial stone since Mr. Goodwin, the first researcher. Yeah. We don't know what yeah. people called it before sure, that. Sure, sure, you know? right. Yeah, but it's a, it's a very large stone and in a shape kind of like a bell. If you look down at that's it, that's the yeah. part that's interesting yeah. to me because um, we we've talked about the the Nazis and this is this is kind of getting a little far afield. But the Nazis during during World War II were developing um, a device called the bell. Oh der, yeah, the Glocke. Yeah. yeah. And, and that supposedly was, uh, was a time travel device. That's one of the theories anyway. So or a levitation fact, device or something. So there's something about that shape. And, um, there's something about a bell. Even if you look at uh, what, a, what a traditional UFO looks like or what we think of as a UFO, mm. it, always, it always has that kind of a bell kind of shape. Mm. Uh, a, flattened, a flattened bell um, shape so, in general. So it, it may have something to do with energy or, you know, so perhaps that's why that was shaped that way. Inspired, and, yeah. inspired by something. Or somebody. inspired by that, that shape is, mm. was used for a particular reason to maybe it captured energy in a certain fashion. The um, Egyptian chambers and things were supposedly developed for that purpose for mm. capturing energy and using it for to enter other dimensions and things like that so you know this is this i guess it's getting a little bit out on the edge but mm. but um that's where we live yeah, well that's what we like <laughs> that's the norm yeah, yeah so yeah. you know who knows i don't know it, it just kind of crock you know kind of it, it is kind of mind, you know? i have seen the show with the bell yeah and actually you know where they think that bell may have flown it looks like a concrete stonehenge you yes know? Is absolutely it, yeah. is that in poland or it's in germany it's, in, yes. it's right on the edge of germany it is in germany yes. Yes. In Poland, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the Polish Stonehenge, you know, exactly. Kind of, kind of cool looking thing, yeah. It's yeah, it is. Yeah. So it who makes knows? you wonder. I don't know who knows what the yeah. connection is? Yeah. Have, have, yeah. Is there anything in that there was actually any kind of sacrifices done on that, or is that just sort of? Well, you know. Um, up on the wall behind you, Walt, there is a, and you can see it. Right I, I can see it. You see the shape. There's a stone that's found about 75 miles from here, and it's in a town of Shutesbury, Mass. And mm -hmm. it's called Mount Mineral. Instead mm -hmm. of Mineral Mountain, they call it Mount Mineral. It has stone chambers, a little bit like our chambers. Okay. And, and it, 
I think it was in um, the date. I think was in the 1800s. A gentleman, a farmer, you know, un- overturned the stone on the mm-hmm. other side of it is sure, a, sure. a carving in relief. You know, it's like a raised carving, like that. Yeah, and it looks, and you can see it. I know our viewers can't see it, but it's shaped sure. like the same shape as our table. It looks like a bell. Yeah. On it looks like a person with their legs kind of spread out. Meditating. You can see that, Eric. Yes, yeah, they look like they're meditating. They're kind of like that on their back. And by the front left leg, you see a circle. Yes. A little circle. Well, that is exactly where the rectangular groove, the little runoff, is on our table. And below it is a cutout in the bedrock where, like, a vase could sit. It's almost like somebody saw somebody on our table... And they're inspired by it. And when they went back to that part of Massachusetts, they created this raised yeah. carving. If that was found here, it'd be incredible. But it's still found down there. It's pretty neat. So that that is even more incredible. Isn't that, that neat? it is. That is. That is cool. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. It, and it's the nearer logo. The New England Antiquities Research Association. My dad founded in 1964, and they're still very, very active in researching these sites yeah. all over. Yeah. They get on TV quite a bit. Their president's mm-hmm. Terry Devoe. Mm-hmm. He's out of Halifax, Canada. He's been on the uh, Oak Island show many, right. many times that's, recently. That's another whole which is another cool thing. Yeah. You know, right. Mystery, you know. Well, yeah. But I. The great question is: Is it a sacrificial table? James Woodall, one of our researchers, he passed away in 1999. He was a Harvard graduate. Mm-hmm. He um, worked on the site since the 60s. He traveled to Europe quite a bit, and he went to uh, Portugal and saw, on the, I think it was the Douro River, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while. I mm-hmm. read his, right. some of his reports. But mm-hmm. he has a picture, and it looks like our table, except it's more maple leaf shape. It has a groove on it like ours, and the, and the authorities over there say it was a sacrificial altar. Mm-hmm. And so directly, we can't tell you if that was a sacrificial table, an embalming table, a slaughter table, a ceremonial table, the table we have. But even over there, they can't tell you. It's like a guess over there. Yeah, we think it was an ancient sacrificial table. But there is a technology. It's called um, uh, protein analysis. You can take an arrowhead, an, a stone axe. You can take a spear point. If that one of those implements struck somebody and there was blood on it or mm-hmm. an animal yes. that retained something. It gets into the microfishes. Mm-hmm. They can extract that and they can go back, I think, over 10,000 years. They can tell you whether it's human, animal, or what type of animal it is. So wow. we've always wondered whether there'd be some evidence on that table. And we always said, well, the table's so weathered. It's been maybe 4,000 yeah. years of weathering. But maybe if somebody that was really good at this could look at the table and say, hmm, I think this is a good candidate, this little crack here. Yeah. Maybe just maybe something mm-hmm. out of that and that might answer and, the question and also i mean <laughs> if you've ever seen a crime scene <laughs> yeah. you, you, on ncis yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or or yeah. my family home videos you will see that that blood has a, <laughs> blood is is a lot like water where it will always find a way it will always find the lowest point right. so who knows if any blood has um gone over the the sides and mm-hmm. get Mm-hmm. some crevices underneath exactly. it, you know yeah, it must have so have there also been a lot of other findings here that also just defy explanation mm-hmm. i mean is there because we were talking a lot about the, the a lot of the, the huge rocks that we can't even hardly move today are there other sort of things that we found here on the site that uh, it, that what, what have about, the scientists scratching their heads what about psychic um well, we've had that too. You know, we've had uh, different. It I mean, does have a strange. Yeah. Yeah. It does have a strange feel. Which, I can't really explain. Which, which it. reminds me, because yeah. the thing yeah. is, is that while we we are recording this, we've been getting some kind of magnetic interference that has nothing to do with the Poland spring bottle that Walt has been crinkling. But every once in a while, we do get a couple of pops here. 
that is always associated with either somebody is blowing on a microphone, which I don't think anybody has done yet, yeah. or some kind of magnetic <laughs> interference. You haven't been watching me. There, yeah. there, 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 there is some kind of an energy here. There, you can yeah. sort of yeah. feel it. And I yeah. think people yeah. that are sensitive, yeah. psychically sensitive, well, could... could <laughs> sense that yeah well that would be verified we'd had a gentleman that's been he does advertising for the local abc affiliate mm -hmm. and he's been doing some ads for us he's also doing a new nine minute video presentation for a theater he's been up here for our, mm -hmm. he's been kind of up here for about two years mm -hmm. and he has had more problems and he's a lot of drone flying too batteries dying on his camera batteries dying on his drone um yeah. and the other thing is uh, when he's flying his drone it's uh kind of i'm gonna say he has taken the magnetic heading, you know, magnetic, mm -hmm. but also it's kind of based on GPS a little bit. Sure. But this, he's having a lot of problems with it knowing where it's at and also flying these grids. And then I have a different gentleman that, he just moved in from California. He lives on Big Island Pond next door. He has his own drone company. He's going to do infrared, which is really mm -hmm. cool. This is a new technology, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, yeah that's, but he's that's had interesting. A, he's been telling me he's having some difficulties with batteries, also with uh, the direction that this thing is flying. He's had occasionally some, you know, actually the thing's getting off mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. So he, they're both attributing it to the uh, the granite having a lot of quartz in it. Maybe there's some iron in it. Which Maybe is what I was talking about yeah, earlier. Energy yeah. kind of yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. Electromagnetic. Electromagnetic like, problem, mm -hmm. I think. That, like yeah. once in a while we get, we yeah. get pops. I've, I've counted maybe five or six pops here <laughs> that are, I can't explain. Especially when we're in Boston. Boston. <laughs> <laughs> there may be something bad, else. Bad joke. There may be something, yeah, it might be something to do with Boston. You, get, yeah. getting, getting back to your, your piloting days, Dennis, yeah. did you ever fly over the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, we went out to Bahamas a few times. I didn't. I'm still here, so that's good. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. And I think yeah. like the Bimini Road with uh, remember it was uh, Edgar Casey, you know, yes. finding that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. we did a show on that too. Actually, uh, there was a. I think it was uh, Charles Berlitz. He uh, the School of Languages. Mm -hmm. He was a member mm -hmm. of my dad's group, and he was kind of really involved yeah. with that whole thing. And Doctor uh, Strong was it? I think it was another gentleman that was involved yeah. with that whole yeah. thing. Yeah. I forget his name, but uh, but yeah, that I flew out there uh, when I was learning how to fly too mm -hmm. in the small. We never had any problems with instruments we, or anything like that. We went to NASA and we went to uh, we went out to uh, Free, Freeport. Yeah, too, that's right in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, you know, back in 1975, I was I don't remember. I remember we were flying over and thinking this is pretty cool out here. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I hope we make it. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Exactly, yeah. We did. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we had any. Uh, I know some of the other airlines. Uh, I don't know if it was Eastern Airlines had a problem. Remember they had like a lost track of time. Yeah. It was one of the famous mm -hmm. examples. That was one of the airliners actually. They've had yep. actual yeah. Yeah. planes that have been lost. World War II area. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. But supposedly yeah. what's happening yeah. there is there's some kind of electromagnetic anomaly which which messes with the instruments. And, yeah. and yeah. also yeah. Yeah. you know, there's some kind of a time factor too where people have said they've lost time and things like that. So so who knows? You know, there's there's something right. going yeah. on. Yeah. And it has to do yeah. with earth energy, I think, in yeah. some sense. Yeah. You know, or something that's under the ocean there that's, you know, left over from some other civilization or something. Who knows what? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different yeah. possibilities. But yeah. I, I, I do think that this yeah. is part of um, this site is is part of some other larger complex, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. we, we talked about Graham Hancock earlier. Oh and, yeah, and, yeah. and he's yeah. he's he's done a yeah. lot of work in yeah. this area. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the area of pre-civilization, um, you know, groups that have existed before what our history tells us should have been any 
any, yeah. <laughs> any kind of civilization like that. Yeah. And he, yeah. uh, from what I understand right. now, he's he's doing a book on North America and how North America fits into that. So he oh. he may be coming to pay you well, a visit. Well, I hope so. Yeah. 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 yeah, he's yeah. he's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, he's. Didn't you say he was supposed to come once and then he had an yeah. emergency or something? Yeah, some sort of emergency, it? yeah. He was yeah. doing so a lecture aware of probably, that. a book, yeah. book so tour he's, or he's definitely like aware of yeah. that. He's aware of us, yeah. And yeah. he's on a, he's on that uh, History Channel quite a bit still, you know. And he's, he's on Ancient Aliens. Ancient he's, Aliens. He's, 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 shows, yeah. he's pretty much a minute, uh a definitive person for yeah, that just kind of basic things like precession he talks about the uh, oh, every 72 years you know that number mm -hmm. 72 you know yes. it's one degree yes. of precession yes. I, you yes. know I kind of I knew about that from the 70s but when mm -hmm. I read his book it kind of emphasized some of the stuff it kind yeah. of brings mm -hmm. it out you know mm -hmm. and so how some of the ancient people were well aware of the motions of the, you know, uh, the the wobble of the earth, for instance. Yeah. They seem to yeah. be aware of some of these things. How do you, you know? figure, how did they know that? You yeah, know, exactly. That, yeah. How, yeah. How did they figure that yeah. out? You know? Yeah. They have and to, and, they seem and to. perhaps maybe yeah. that's what this site was used as. Yeah. Some kind of yeah. astronomical uh, observatory yeah. or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know you, you yeah. we were talking before we started the show about um, the serpent walls that you have here. So maybe you could talk a little bit about those. Yeah. Those, are, those I, I find highly interesting. Yeah, that's it, a relatively recent. They're new to us. Yeah, yeah. that's a recent. Uh, yeah. Uncovering. Oh, we uh, we knew about these walls, even Mr. Goodwin in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. But his main focus was the main site, which is about mm -hmm. an acre. And that's surrounded by about 20 acres where the astronomical alignments are on the walls. Right. And then right. outside of that, there's about 80 acres more walls. Sure, sure. And as I mentioned, my dad was really getting involved with that uh, in the 19 uh, late 1990s and early 2000s before Dr. Mm -hmm. Winkler passed away. They were mm -hmm. out there looking. And he said to me, I think these walls are as important as the main site. And it kind of struck me. I was on the road flying a lot. I was on the road sometimes yeah. 80 or 90 hours, so yeah. I wasn't always here. But I thought about that, and I said, that is interesting. And then they kind of dropped it after Dr. Winkler died. Uh, not totally, but my dad was kind of on his own, you know. Mm -hmm. But recently, we started noticing that uh, I have a great appreciation for these walls. We're finding all sorts of features in these walls. But one of them, I noticed, was a wall that actually was on the way to my dad's house. And we, we either walk over there, or and he lives on the north side of this property. He had about two acres he purchased back mm -hmm. in the uh, late, I guess it was in the 70s, but he didn't build a house yet in 1990. Right. So on the way to his house is this really neat wall, and I've been going by it on snowmobiles, uh, ATVs, and just walking by there. And one day I said, something about that wall, it looks kind of funny. So I went over to it, and it seemed to have like a stone head. And I looked at it, when I got up to it, I said, sure, it looks like a stone head. And then I looked at it, it's about 30 feet long, it's linear, it's, you know, it just goes straight, it's on the, on the kind of a ridge of bedrock, it's built right on the ridge, mm -hmm. and it ends up with a, what when I got over to it, a tail, it's kind of a, about three feet across, and it's kind of a oval-shaped tail. I said, I think I'm looking at a serpent or a snake or something. Yeah, there. yeah. And then I look at the front of it again. I walk to the back to the front of it again, and I'm noticing that it has a tongue. A stone looks like a stone tongue on it. You it know? had like the feet. It, so this the, the headstone, as it were, literally the headstone had features of a of a snake or a serpent it, it of some did. kind of yeah. reptile. And, and it is straight; it isn't curved. But it's only thirty feet, and it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. You know, it's just uh, somebody put time into building this short wall for nothing out in the middle of nowhere. But it also this head; it's almost rectangular. It has a V-shaped uh, notch on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it ha looks like the whole thing is fallen. Beneath it is a stone with a point. And I think that point goes, it's a pointed stone, and it actually looks like it was shaped like that. I think the head sat on that point. It received it and was actually oh. balanced up there, and hmm. something caused it to fall off. And that was the first one, and I started showing it to a few people, and they go, you know what? That is kind of interesting. It mm -hmm. kind of looks like a serpent. 
Uh, after that, I looked at, started looking at the walls a little more closer, and we found today, we think we have about nine of these walls wow. that are serpentine walls. Interesting. Some are curved, curvilinear. Mm -hmm. Some are rectilinear. In other words, they go straight with a 90-degree turn where the head is yeah. or the tail. Well, last fall, we were at a New England Antiquities meeting down in um, Groton, Connecticut, and I'm sorry, it was down in Bill Ricker, Mass. That was last fall. The spring was down in Groton. And we were looking at the book table between lectures, yes. with different people doing lectures. And one of the books that came up was a, one called Ceremonial Stonework. And I'm looking at it, and it's a beautiful book. It has a lot of photographs, 270 fo uh, photographs. And I'm looking at it, I think it's pictures from all over New England. Yeah. It turns out it's one town. It's Stonington, Connecticut. It has 8,000 stone features, features like Carnes, standing stones, stone chambers. U-shaped walls, it has walls with windows, and one thing that really caught me is it had serpentine walls. And I thought when I first read the book, there was 25 serpentine walls in the town. Yeah. And when I went to the lecture, the gentleman that wrote this book, Markham Starr, was at the meeting this spring, and he got up and spoke for about an hour, and he's talking about 400 of these serpentine walls in one town. Wow. One town. 400 one town. of them. Wow. And when he showed, he went through one after the other, and your eyes were going cross. There were so many of them, you know, it's amazing. And so many of them look like the nine that I have here, you mm -hmm. know, either straight, rectilinear, curvilinear, having the same kind of stonework, and they run anywhere from 30 feet to over 100 feet. Um, next speaker after that was a lady named Becky from Colorado. She shows the same kind of carns, stonework out in the eastern part of Colorado, and serpentine mm -hmm. walls. And one of them looks just like one of them we have up near the North Stone. There's a wall that runs about 100 feet. And that wall is interesting because it has the head of the wall actually rises, and then there's a triangular-shaped head, which we think is the actual head of it. Yeah. A lot of these are triangular or diamond-shaped heads. But kind of in the middle of it, it's fat. And some of the walls in Connecticut has the same thing. It's like the snake at its prey. And as the snake does that, you can see the, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The, the yeah. bulges. Yeah, 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 the bulge. And he <laughs> says a lot of these have the bulge. It's almost like, how could you deny it's, it's that? It's symbolic. Yeah, it yeah. ate its prey. Mm -hmm. And where does a serpent come from? A Graham Hancock talks a lot about the belt of Orion being... Mm -hmm. Uh, if you look at the pyramids in Egypt mm -hmm. or down in Teotihuacan, and mm -hmm. there's another site in, I think, New Mexico, yeah. the belt of Orion is the three different stars and the different magnitudes, mm -hmm. and, and they're slightly different. They're not quite in a straight line. They're off right. just a little bit. Mm -hmm. and that looks like the way the pyramids are laid out. So that's right. a constellation maybe brought down to Earth. Mm -hmm. Well, some of the people, like this gentleman here, and I feel that they're looking at Draco the dragon. And mm -hmm. 4,000 years ago, when we think the site was built, the pole star was Thuban, Alpha Draconis. And it's not the brightest star in Draco. It's actually, Alpha should be the brightest, but it's not. Yeah. It's a mis, you know, it's misnomer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's actually one of the stars. So 4,000 years ago, people were looking at the, the celestial North Pole, where some people think heaven is or whatever. And that would have been Thuban. And after 4,000 years ago, going towards us, it goes circumpolar. It's no longer a pole star, actually. So they may have been taking um, Draco and bringing it down to Earth. Mm -hmm. As above, so below. As above, so below. Yeah. 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 And that might be why they did the same one out in uh, Ohio, the Great Serpent Mound, you know. Mm -hmm. and there's but that, that <clears throat> speaks to, uh, <clears throat> actually, you know, <clears throat> that commonality really speaks to a larger culture that, mm. that had this as their their symbol or their what, what yeah, they were trying yeah, to yeah, uh, yeah. what they yeah. were trying to simulate. There's a lot of symbology you, for the serpent. Look at it. Yeah, yeah. there's and a lot of serpents. A lot of ways to interpret that, but um, 
you know, for, for some reason that was a, I mean, even, I mean, when you think in, think about Egypt, even mm. the, the serpent is a, is a... So it's kind of a problem. You can't identify the culture because I think even the Chinese look at the dragon or the serpent Absolutely, shape. Absolutely, totally. So yeah. it's kind of a problem. It's like, now who are these people? Maybe, you know, a lot of people did. Every, you and also are, every yeah. culture, mm. every culture has some things that they have mm. these things in common. Like every culture has a flood myth. Mm. Every culture mm. has a... a almost irrational fear of, of all things comets mm-hmm. and dragons show up everywhere in every culture every every ancient culture has some kind of a dragon vikings even the vikings, vikings yeah, especially yeah. the vikings well, yeah. which is yeah. which is serpentine yeah. Yeah, dragon yeah. Serpentine. serpentine serpentine you know? dragon serpent snake yeah. so yeah. it speaks yeah. to the fact that there's some kind of commonality in all of these supposed separate cultures that you know, from traditional thinking, have we're, we're not connected in any yeah. way. You know, and, and I think one thing you can say is that these walls probably are not historic walls; that they're ancient walls. You know, they're not something oh, that, I think the, so. that yeah. the farmer Patty, so. although he was really a shoemaker, or his kids, yeah, or his, no. his, yeah, that's you know. Not, that's so I think we're going into credible. an ancient time period. Yeah, you that's know? not credible. Yeah. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. I think that really strong piece of evidence that it's not historical. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so. have, <laughs> now, are there other things here that you've seen? Have you seen like? apparitions or I don't want to use the word ghosts but has anybody seen apparitions that they cannot or explain any manifestations yeah. of anything yeah some people actually uh, we had it on our website I would say almost 10 years ago we had it for quite a while somebody took a picture in the patty area and it looks like a person standing there and these these guys uh, you know I don't know if at the time they actually saw it with their eyes they did see it with a camera I'm trying to remember the story on this but we had it up and we actually put a picture on the wall up there it was pretty cool that's just one we've had um, mm-hmm. Every fall we have before Halloween, we have the uh, ghost walks or the ghost tours. And we have different people like Jeff Belanger. Mm-hmm. He's been here and he actually did a YouTube video on the site. He's brought in some people from the um, Ghost Adventures. He yep. writes for them, yeah. He had one of the hosts on. He, he was down here too. So Jeff's pretty good at that. He'd be a good, great guy to talk about that. You know, it's mm-hmm. more of a specialty. Yeah. But uh, every fall we, uh, we have people come down here and they bring equipment in and uh, for sound and for visual, you know, recorded visually and also the mm-hmm. audio. You know, and my unfortunately, I uh, when I worked my airline trips up to recently, I was working Friday through Mondays. They were actually the best trips I could pick. It's usually a four day trip, so I missed an awful lot of them. Mm-hmm. But my wife uh, went on a number of these, and some of the staff did, yeah. and they did record different things, like you know, I guess different images or energy, you know, lights, illumination mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. things, and um, in sound also. Yeah, I think somebody had some sound that was kind of cool too. You know, some and they repeat it, and you can kind of hear somebody saying. It sounds like somebody mm-hmm. saying something. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, like I say, Hans Holzer was here, and he actually were in one of his books. And I'm trying to think. We had the book upstairs, actually. And then he wrote a book about us. It was mm-hmm. a separate book, like two separate books about the phenomenon here. You have, you know, You've gotten quite a, quite a lot of coverage, of, you know, different, yeah. different places. We had, uh, yeah, we had H.P. Uh, Lovecraft here in the 30s a couple times. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. He came up with a guy named Munn from Rhode Island, you know, a couple times in the 30s. Did I, he comment on anything? Did you know anything about it? Or? We actually had a little booklet uh, that one of our research is put together all about the H uh, horror on the hill was the name of it we used to sell it here and it had the whole story and, and this is during the 80s and 90s we carried the book up to maybe 10 or 15 years ago just because mm-hmm. it ran out of print you know yeah and we also had another one on the patty family 
family and one on ancient and modern quarry techniques, so all three booklets. But the one on H.P. Lovecraft was very popular. And the other guy that might have been here in the, around the time of World War II, because he was in New Hampshire on Newfound Lake, and he had a different name for it, was Alistair Crowley, you know. And mm -hmm. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure he came here, but um, it would be one of those things that's kind of, which still can't prove it, you know. Not documented. Right, documented, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, pretty sure he came here, but he was up in Newfound Lake, and it was a, kind of a neat name he called it. I forget. It was not called, you know, he did not call it Newfound Lake. He had know? another word for yeah, it. Yeah, a different word for it. it. Yeah, he was an interesting person for sure, you know. Oh, yeah. He had his own. The philosophy. <laughs> yeah. So, so of course. A lot of different, yeah. So the next question is, have there been any any strange government officials trying coming up and checking this area out or... It's probably done so quietly we haven't even seen him. Uh, I don't know. We've had uh, we had the gentleman from the Department of the Interior here a few years ago, and he really liked the place. He talked yes. to my wife. I was on a trip, and he goes, "Hey, we had the guy. He was from Washington, you know, and he thought the place was pretty cool. You know, they mm -hmm. control the national parks, and he thought we did a nice job. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah, we're not. You know, we are a state historic site. Um, uh, that was done in 1970. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. And that and we have a plaque on Route 28, not too far from Walmart on in Salem, mm -hmm. and um, it talks about the Phoenicians. You know, and it, and I think the sign says Mystery Hill is what the name yeah. is when they put it up in 19. So we are a state historic site and kind of recognized that way, but on a national level, we're not. You know, is but, there is there any thinking um, that the that the Templars might have been here, the Knights Templar? Because I, I know in the museum you have a recreation of the oh, yeah. of the carving that's in it's in Massachusetts, yes, right? Yes, in Westford. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, any. Any thoughts along that line, or well, um, I mean, I mean, yeah. they they certainly had insight into a lot of ancient knowledge, and yeah, um, they they had, they were quite the sailors too, just like the Phoenicians were. So, oh yeah. So there's, yeah. I think there's a good chance they, well, that's what the whole Oak Island thing is, the mystery behind that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, any connection that you know of or has there any been any thinking even along those well, lines? Scott Walters is really you know big on the show about the uh, the Westford Knight the mm -hmm. Newport Tower yes. and the Arrogance yes. of Stone and mm -hmm. I guess the feeling is it's not Viking but it's post-Viking but it's pre-Columbus you know it was, uh, it was mm -hmm. and in 1307 you know and mm -hmm. uh, King Philip the fourth there the fair you know and that Pope Clement the fifth rose up and tried to uh kill, I guess, or get rid of all the Templars. You he know, took them out, yeah. yeah. Took I think out. they got too powerful and he, yeah. he decided they were they were more more powerful than And he owed them money, too, I guess. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. yeah, and I think they went to King Scotland. Philip was a good yeah. guy, too. That was King of France was yeah, King, indebted to them as well. That's right, and he wanted yeah. to be a Templar, too, but he wasn't, so he's probably still mad at him. He for probably that. was, yeah. But uh, I guess a lot of them might Templar have gone rejection. to... rejection. Yeah. yeah, you can understand his, <laughs> his mood, you know, but, <laughs> but he went up to Scotland. Some went to Scotland, some became pirates, you know, the Raleigh Absolutely, yeah, totally. They had a whole... Second life, yeah. yeah, and then the Knights of Christ. But some might have made it to the New World. You and know, I think they came over here. I, yeah. I really do. That's what the, as I said, that's what the whole Oak Island theory is that yeah. they put their treasure in there. So, well, who that, knows? They might have been, and they supposedly even went as far as like Minnesota and places like you know, right. some, that's where Scott lives too. Yeah, runic, out there, yeah. stones yeah. they found out there and stuff. Some so. real fascinating. But what we the hooked X seems to be an interesting. That's in Scott yeah. Walters thing, and Absolutely, there there is yeah. a hooked X, and it's found in Minnesota. It's like uh, the Spirit Pond rune stones, uh, the Narragansett yes. stones. Yes, I've seen Christopher that. Columbus signs his signature with a hooked X. That means you know? something. Yeah. It means no, something. No, you yeah. didn't find anything like yeah. that here, though. Well, yeah. And I oh, did you, show it to oh, Scott. You, oh, you did? Yeah, they're not They're not sure. So the, 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 there is, and I have pictures of it. It's pretty cool. It's on the western side of the hill. 
and it's got this you know the old man of the mountain you know no mm-hmm. longer there but this right. looks right. this this looks like um it's on the glacial cliff side of the hill we have this beautiful gla- glacial cliff shelter mm-hmm. native americans were there we have pottery from around 2000 <clears throat> to 2800 years old that was found there yeah. but to the south side of that it goes from a really kind of a glacial cliff shelter to just a very steep kind of you know mm-hmm. rocky ridge right. and there's this beautiful looks like a man with a with a nose it's natural it's like the old man of the mountain it's mm-hmm. not mount rushmore we don't think it's man made you know, no. it's natural. But just below the chin of it is the X with a hook on it. And really? I did get it to show it to huh. David Brody and to Scott Walters uh, two months ago. He thought it was interesting. He goes, we'd have to do a little bit more looking at yeah. it. It yeah. is out of context, he goes, because normally the hooked X is with with other letters, you know, forming mm-hmm. yeah, words yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That. But that's, just that. that symbol st- seems to stand out. Yeah, you know, and it's right there. And <clears> then <throat> above it, it's a beautiful wall that goes up. And I think it's an ancient wall. It goes like a 90 degree turn it stops and then the implied wall goes over on a ridge to another stone that we knew about since the 1970s that Barry Fell identified as a G mm-hmm. stone it's a Libyan also Phoenician symbol mm-hmm. for God and the wall picks up there and then the wall does one of these serpentine time things and it ends up going right up to the winter solstice sunset avenue and it stops mm-hmm. with, a, with a boulder it's almost like the G stone is also on the Masonic rings. When I went to one of the yeah, Scott, that's, true. that's right. Yeah, yeah, I was at the yeah. uh, mm-hmm. down at Scott Walters. Um, my son and I went down there. It's in um, Air Mass. We went to the uh, yeah, it was Air Mass. My son works in Littleton, and we went to Scott Walters' uh, lecture back. Uh, I think it was in December. And I'm looking at we're all sitting there. Was a huge crowd there, and I'm looking at the wall, and there's the big G up there. You know, yeah. for God, Goddess, or geometry. I think it's yeah. the, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have that there, and I. Wow. showed that to these guys and they said well that is pretty cool you know and then next to the x there's all these little lines that look like olgum and scott got kind of even he says this is even more interesting than the x and my dad saw it in 64 and i'm going through his records last year putting them on the computer or getting everything yeah. computerized and i said and he has a question mark olgum and i thought he only became aware of olgum when barry fell came along in 1975 mm-hmm. in 1964 mm-hmm. he's already you know it's kind of always surprising yeah, like that yeah, like, yeah. about that and we never saw these things <laughs> yeah how did he know that and we never i never saw it and and then one of our uh, one of our uh, annual members is a school teacher from boston he comes up he's found some really cool stuff in the last year he took me out to the show me something else and then I'm looking at going, there they are. These things yeah. we haven't seen in uh, 55 years, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, mm-hmm. years, you know. And it's, the, so, but it's all together. The X, the G-stone, and these will look like Olgum, you know, these, these mm-hmm. lines in the yeah. rock. And this face, which is pretty cool. Um, so Scott has seen it. Anything interesting? And um, so I think, I mean, it's possible. Did this guy, Sir Henry Sinclair, come up the Merrimack? And he ended up in Westford. But also, did they make a little detour in the Spigot River and come up to our site? I mean, it's one of these stories I can't prove. It's kind of yeah, something I, to think it about. Yeah, makes sense. It, yeah. it yeah. seems to, yeah. to, it's, to, it's, to it's make some kind of logic. Yeah. yeah. There's some kind of logic. I got a picture it. of that, and I think it's, you know, I'll show you, too, you know. It's on the Westford night, too. They found it last uh, some young gentlemen a uh, year and a half ago were looking at the Westford night the actual stone we have a full mm-hmm. scale fiberglass cast model yeah, yeah model of mm-hmm. it and you can see it on the model too faintly it is a hooked X on it and it was found uh, it wasn't found by David Brody or Scott it was found by some young gentleman and they you know like oh wow and it's I like mine better it's actually more visible it's bigger sure, and, it's sure. bigger yeah. and you can really see it but you know so yeah there might be something here you know like that which is kind of neat what about the Celtic uh, you mentioned there was some Celtic um, 
findings in, in yeah, some way? Yeah. Writing? Well, was it writing? Writing, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah there was a, uh, the Olgum. Was it runic? It's, runic? Yeah, it's actually Olgum. It's like a one to five lines through, across a stem line like. And uh, Barry Fell, it's not just in Ireland where the, the mainstream think it is. They found it, they found it in Scandinavia. They mm-hmm. found it, I think, in France. And there's other countries, I think even in Germany. This, these, this is what they call... Um, it's it's um, ogum without vowels, so it's just cons. What do they call it? Constantine Con- vowel. Constantine, I think, is the word. It's just consonants. There's no just vowels. Consonants. Yeah, it's a type of a type of language or a type yeah, of it's a type of writing. It's mm-hmm. by the yeah. by the yeah, it's mm-hmm. by the ancient so it's Celts. symbols. It must be symbolic in some way. Yeah, it's like one to five. So mm-hmm. you know, like one line would be L below the stem line. T- two would be uh, I'm sorry. One line would be B, and two lines would be L, and then you insert the oh, vowels. Oh, what you're saying. Okay. Bell, ball, mm-hmm. or you can insert the vowels. Mm-hmm. But later in time, they did put the vowels in it. But um, what Barry Fell thinks is it came from Spain and Portugal, and you can find it there. And you can also find Phoenician in Spain and Portugal and, and Libyan. Temp- te- Portugal is one of the places where the templars were. The templars were too, yeah. 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 And actually, the Scotch shows one structure over there with the hooked X too in one of the churches mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Barry Fell said it was a melting pot. It was a melting pot in the Iberian Peninsula. Everybody got in there and they were multilingual. And when they mm-hmm. got there, they hopped over to the New World. So the Phoenicians didn't come out of Phoenicia necessarily, you know, the Phoenician coast and the, you know, right. Jordan, Syria, mm-hmm. Israel. Mm-hmm. They may have come out of Spain, Portugal, and possibly France and they hopped from there over to the New World from there because of the style of writing plus they were multilingual they probably mm-hmm. spoke Libyan, Phoenician and Celtic but they wrote in Phoenician Libyan mm-hmm. and Celtic mm-hmm. too and these markings have been found all the way out to the Milk River in Alberta, Canada the Ogham and I got the beautiful um Photo, uh, photographs of this these cliffs with all this ogum on them. It's almost like columns, like natural columns. Mm-hmm. But they look like man-made, and they got a, it's right overlooking the Milk River. But they're also in Brazil. They found them all over the place: Phoenician, Libyan, and Celt, right across the Americas. The one in Brazil was found in 1872 by some slaves, and since then they found more of them, and they've identified it as Phoenician writing, you know, uh, down there. So that's that's kind of it's interesting. It's pretty clear too. that they were here. Yeah, yeah. And, and up in Maine, the Little Manana Island, right off of Monhegan Island, is where they found Phoenician writing too. That's up there today. Right. You can a, take tours. Yeah, some you can guy see. found that in a pond or something, right? Something or, like yeah, yeah, yeah. On, the, on the edge of a pond. We were gonna go see it. Something. My wife and I and my son Kelsey in 2001, mm-hmm. and that's when 9/11 happened. We oh, landed out at yeah. Booth Bay Harbor. We, Booth Bay. We were ready to go out on a boat, and we heard something about a world, the World Trade Center. So we yeah, ended up yeah. Yeah. came yeah. home. Very, yeah. It was a vacation. We we ended it. You know, yeah. it was the end of that. That's, that's what happened. Yeah. We never got to see it. <laughs> the no. writing, right. Phoenician writing up there. Yeah. Yeah. One one last thing I want to talk about, and I think we're starting to get to the end of our time here. But oh, no, we're, 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 we're way past. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah. that's okay. Uh, this is so interesting. We can chop this. This no. is so, so interesting. No, this is, what we, this is what we do, and that's, a, <laughs> that's one of the great things about having a podcast is that we, we could talk as long as you want. As long <laughs> well, as you're we, talking, we, we, we're we recording. We Dennis's whole day up here. About no, that. no, I'm enjoying this, yeah, you actually. Do well. um, but yeah, you do. <laughs> I, was, I was up here for the... Um, it was a couple of years ago now, several years ago, I guess. Um, there was a uh, summer solstice ceremony mm-hmm. that was taking place, and they had people dressed up as, I guess, elementals. I didn't, <laughs> I, at the time, I, I didn't totally understand what was going on, and I still probably don't, but um, it, was a, it was a type of revelry, I guess you would say, to celebrate the summer solstice. And yeah. uh, does that happen every year, or is that something that was just kind of a one? 
one shot deal yeah or? we do that yeah there's a lady she's it from was, the Netherlands it was interesting it was yeah. cool I, I, I enjoyed it yeah she, she's uh, her name is Katja she's been coming here since 1992 she's from the Netherlands oh, and I she? guess she okay. grew up Catholic but she does kind of a ceremony that it might be like uh, some you know Druid African Native American yeah, yeah. 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 that's exactly what it seemed of. like and she does a celebration and it usually goes from like one o'clock to maybe four o'clock mm -hmm. and people, um, when I was here people were kind of they had like a train going around and they were that, yep. and drums and things and yeah. flutes and it yeah. was cool it was very cool it's really uh, are you having something fun. like that here this year yeah we'll have that this year and is that on, uh, the, on the solstice it is, is on it? the solstice yep sometimes when uh, the solstice is on like a Friday or a Monday she might move it to the weekend I think it's a Wednesday but it's a Wednesday so she's going to hold it on Wednesday I was and, trying to um, encourage Eric to come up here with his, yeah. with his son you know what it, it would be great two, two it would actually on. be great to interview her and ask her a couple of questions yeah. if she's up for it oh yeah yeah she's it's it's a very interesting ceremony. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, they they, I'm kind of dredging it up, trying to dredge it up now. But yeah. they had a, they they had a gathering like where they, um, mm. I, I guess you would consider it a pagan ceremony. I know that's kind of a yeah, probably yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah, uh, but it was it yeah. was really interesting. It was neat. Yeah, she celebrates the Earth Goddess. You know, yeah, and all exactly. That stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which which yeah. is a very um, I think ties in with with the site. Oh, I mean, I think yeah. that's probably what yeah. the what the thinking was behind yeah. the site that was the you know that was the early well, form of religion she, she does a pretty yeah people celebrated the earth fertility you know? and everything <clears throat> sure yeah, yeah. And, the, and they even had the you <clears throat> know like Vermont has a lot of the uh, monoliths that are like phallic symbols so these, these up here could be the same thing some of the chambers have like the like Newgrange will have the sunlight come into the chamber and illuminate it that. Yeah. and I'm the male would be the sun you know mm -hmm. the, the rays would be you know kind of the um, you know the fertility going on there into mm -hmm. the chamber yeah. Yeah. and some of them have quartz inside like one of the chambers and Gunji Womp, and when the sunlight comes in there, it illuminates that piece of quartz, and the watch house has that on the back wall. Yeah. We've got to check and see if the winter solstice will do the same thing. The Newport Tower does that. And, and, and Newgrange does that. Newgrange. New yeah, and it seems to be, yeah. a, even, uh, you know, you go to Chaco Canyon, there's an illumination effect Absolutely, out there. Absolutely, yeah. I've but I think yeah. it's the male and the rays are coming in, and it's going into the chamber, the womb, kind uh -huh. of, and it's going to create fertility. Huh. But um, I think in 2001, the Travel Channel was here and they did a show and her celebration was on that so she and they interviewed her so she's kind of receptive to that you know uh -huh. before or after yeah. the ceremony yeah. I didn't you know? know it was one yeah. particular person that was yeah Kaji, she's good it. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. it, it yeah. was a group pretty large group of people I'd say Maybe 30 people, 20, 30 people. We've had it as big dressed, as a thousand. Dressed up in oh, really? Yeah, really? yeah, when the Travel Channel was here, it was one of these years that wow. everybody showed up. She had probably in her group 150 or 200. And um, she started right out back here and she walked them all the way through the site in a big procession like. Yeah. And then uh, we had a high, uh, Mayan healing doctor. And we had a Peruvian medicine man doing a ceremony separately from these people. Wow. And Inca Sun, the group from Peru, they're based in Cambridge, Mass. They mm -hmm. had, uh, they were here for a couple of years. And one of the years, they attracted, like like I say, almost 1,000 people. They were here for everything, though. The people were all here yeah, all day. Yeah. 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 So it was in the Travel Channel, happened to be here on that occasion. So they had a lot to <laughs> there film. There you go. So yeah. what, what happens when the sun comes up on the, on the solstices? Is yeah, anything... it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, the equinoxes and solstices, and we have the cross-quarter days, and... We have lunar alignments, too, which take a while. They're 18 and a half years. But on the summer solstice, that stone that has kind of an asymmetrical um, shape to the top of it mm -hmm. um, is the one that was on Scott Walter's show. My son 
uh, talked about how the line goes right through Stonehenge. But the sun will rise on it 90 degrees to the top of the stone. And if you look in the distance, you'll see the horizon. Yeah. The hills are shaped just like the top of that stone. And they did that in European sites. Ancient people would take advantage of horizons, shape the stone to fit the horizon, and then the sun will rise on the horizon, the stone itself. And it's a beautiful effect. And in the evening, uh, around 8.20 at night, the sun actually sets on another one of these arrowhead kind of shaped stones. Sure. And that stone is set up where the valleys come down. Is actually the hills kind of go up and down like the back of a snake. And in the little valleys where the stone set, and the sunrise actually rolls down the side of the hill and touches the top of the stone, and then it disappears, you know. So wow. it's very, very pretty. That, that it's a is, very, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As long as we have good weather. Well, that's... Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> isn't that always <laughs> the way? Uh, rain. On, on the Coast to Coast show... Um, <laughs> Um, one of the one of the people that called in, you probably mm-hmm. remember, the guy said he came here. He had been here. He came here with his girlfriend or something, and they came. I guess while it was still dark, mm-hmm. and they were waiting for the solstice, and it was real cloudy. Um, and he said, just as the sun was coming, and you're talking about mystical kind of things. Yeah. You know? yeah. He said, just as the sun came up, it cleared. Yeah. And yeah. and yeah. it sort of, it was sort of almost magical that that. It was almost like it was clearing to yeah. have this happen, you and know. And then it got cloudy. A and then it got clouded again. again. So yeah. you know, you have yeah. to wonder. Little magic going, what's going on, on there. there, you know. So I thought that was kind of beautiful picture, if anything. But yeah, there's a little bit of, and it feels kind of like some sort of a mystery to it. Mm-hmm. In 1970, we came up here after waiting three years for the weather to cooperate. My dad, a manager, and my neighbor, we came up here through the snow, and we went up and we watched the winter solstice sunset. And when it actually worked for the first time in three years, yeah, uh, it was beautiful and we all got kind of goosebumps not only because it was a cold very cold up there (laughs) it was a really cold winter day and there's snow on the ground but we said we might be the first people to actually witness this since the builders who were the original builders it could be you know there's generations and generations of people who wouldn't have no knowledge of that at all exactly Exactly. to them it was just a bunch of stones sitting there so it's really cool yeah Yeah, that is interesting Yeah. yeah we gotta come back yeah, I tell you, bring your bring your family. Right? Come back, yeah. bring it, bring everybody. We're open every brought, day of the year. My son so. was my son was yeah, pretty younger much. than when I came for that. He was, yeah. he was yeah. interested in it. it was, yeah. It's a very interesting thing, you we, know. Or, yeah. You know, come anytime. I mean, I, another more recently, I brought a friend of mine here who came up to visit from New Jersey, and we were here kind of on a, on a day like this where there was very few people here. Yeah, it was yeah. it was yeah. it was much more of a um, solemn kind of quiet kind of meditative sort People of like feel to it. I, I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. Because you know? yeah. the other day was was fun, but it was more hectic and frenetic busier. and you couldn't yeah. appreciate the sight as much. Yeah. Or feel it, you, you know, know, kind so of thing. Like yeah. I was talking yeah. about Matt yeah. Manadnock with all the school trips up there. Yeah. <laughs> that was the same guy, actually. All that piece I promised of him the solemnity up on Mount Manadnock. I think, yeah. We got up there and there was like 500 school kids running around. And but I was I, like, hey, this is really... Uh, yeah, this is good. It's really solemn. <laughs> yeah, you get the feel for this yeah. place. Yeah. I would I would love to be able to see a lot of the ceremonies here and see what other people have going on. And, yeah. And I mean, do you, you put that on the website? Um, yeah, we do. Yeah, are, actually, yeah. And if you if you have an opportunity uh, this summer solstice to come back or maybe the equinox, mm-hmm. certainly anytime mm-hmm. you want to come back, and the winter solstice is probably the other big one, you know. Yeah. The cross quarter yeah. days are actually the beginning of each season. People aren't too familiar with them. May Day, August 1st, right. November 1st. Yeah. But the ancient Celts, those are more important than the actual seasons. But that's actually the beginning. Like our summer season actually began on May Day. And then mm-hmm. midsummer is the summer solstice. And mm-hmm. August 1st is the beginning mm-hmm. of fall. Those days we used to stay open. But we got so few people coming because they didn't know what they were. Yeah. And we have, we have actually these monoliths and the sun rising and setting 
everything over them look pretty spectacular. But people normally come for the four seasons, what we call the quarter days. Yeah, so yeah. the solstice is an equinox, mm -hmm. you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so come back on one of those, you know, as long as Absolutely. the weather's nice, you'll have yeah. a nice turnout. Absolutely. You can talk to some of the people. Yeah. We'd yeah. love to have you back. We have we have a lot of listeners in New Hampshire, and we have yes. some, we have mm -hmm. a national audience, too. So International you know, audience. Mm -hmm. well, international. Eric likes to always get that in <laughs> We have one guy in Antarctica that listens to <laughs> one guy I'm, in I'm, I'm, I'm How you doing kidding. down there? <laughs> um, so, um, you don't have any megalithic sites down there. You well, know, we don't know. There's, well, we, could we be just, under the ice, We just right? did a show about Antarctica That's and the, all the, the interesting yeah, stuff. Yeah, the show that we're going to be broadcasting oh, really? tomorrow yeah. is about Antarctica. Yeah, you might want to listen well, to it. Charles Hapgood was a friend of my dad's from Keene State really? College. Yeah. <laughs> and Einstein <laughs> actually endorsed the book there. You know, I saw but, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah moving that. That's a friend of a girl. Good. Interesting. We have a cast of Bigfoot. It's upstairs, and I said to my dad one day, what is that? He goes, that's Bigfoot. I said, where did you get that thing from? He goes, well, it came from Charles Hapgood. He gave me it before he passed away, and yeah. I think it was in 88. And I said, well, where did he get that from? And he got it from, I think, Sir Edmund Hillary and Marlon Perkins from the American. Remember the uh, ABC show oh, about the Animal yeah. Kingdom? Oh, yeah. Well, they went back 10 years after Hillary climbed Mount Everest, and they went back over to look for it. They had a kind of a skeptical, healthy skepticism, you know, open sure, mind. Sure, sure. But they did come back with this cast. and so my it's a dad, Yeti. Yeah, um, with the Yeti. Yeah. So we get the Yeti from those guys. Yeah. And through Charles Hap, oh, Charlie put Hapgood. That, put that out in the museum. Yeah. So. I know. We have the main the museum up in Maine there. The gentleman's talked to me mm -hmm. about that, too. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of a neat museum. Yeah. I haven't been to it, but I've heard a lot about it. Uh, so we there's some it. cool stuff. There's some weird stuff. This place mm -hmm. is just full of mysteries, you know. Well, Hapgood is a guy that developed a theory of um, cross the Earth's crust displacing mm. and shifting, and so that Antarctica yep. was actually trop or subtropical Guam, maybe yeah. or something, and then yeah. when it shifted, it froze. Yeah. And there's supposedly a lot of stuff under the ice. So maybe they have something down there too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you might have a pyramid here buried too. You know, they're finding pyramids all the time. They keep time. finding yeah. them. They keep yeah. finding them, yeah. yeah. Bosnia, I think, has some... Yeah, there's yes. one that well, they thought yeah. was a uh, just a mountain just or a, a mound, mound and, yeah. and yeah. they ended up unearthing a pyramid. It's a man-made... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. clearly. Yeah. yeah, there's supposed to be pyramids in Antarctica yeah. too. So who knows? Yeah, the I mean, it's just kind of fun, isn't it? It's a fun time. Yeah, there's all, all these stuff things, that's you know? just coming yeah. to light. Yeah. You know, even you with the yeah. serpent walls. You, I mean, who knows how many more of those you'll find? That's you know? to us is amazing. Just finding absolutely, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And Windows and walls and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, yeah. Yep. That's yeah. so. Yeah. You know, you usually think of stone walls as utilitarian, at least the historical kind. But these pictures you were showing me, those are not utilitarian at all. No, those were made to be artistic. Exactly, and, and have some some somebody impact. somebody yeah, was absolutely. trying to say just, something. Just yeah. borders, something was more than just borders. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and and it just gets back to just the very beginning of of a lot of what we found here is several thousands of years old, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and predates technology that that we have today. And there's just no, I just can't. It's mind-boggling what what mm -hmm. we have going on here. So but, but the thing that, that I find interesting is the fact that. Mainstream historians and archaeologists, etc., they 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 kind of discount this kind of stuff because mm. it doesn't really fit their paradigm. And they're very dogmatic, dogmatic about it. Exactly. So this and, is and I know yeah, they've done yeah, that with your yeah. site to, oh, yeah. to a certain degree yeah. too. You know, which is yeah. just wrong. It's just like yeah. people should know about this stuff. You yeah. know, it's just it's interesting. It's not it's not threatening. Yeah. It's yeah. I guess if the you know if you hang your hat on a certain line of thinking and this counteracts that, Absolutely. then I guess that's yeah. the problem. But you yeah. know. 
Come on, open your mind up. You, a they bit. don't want to change the history books, and then the, they went to school for years to learn it a certain yeah, way. Yeah, you know, and you a lot think of the stuff we learned and, is, yeah. is skewed. It's, so it's, it's not very scientific, you know, is it? It's very no, subjective. No, yeah, it's really no. narrow minded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, I guess we're kind of coming to the end of our <laughs> yeah. time. This has been a great discussion, Dennis. Yes. Uh, you're, you're a lucky man to, to oh. have this. Well, I'm lucky to have you here today. I really appreciate talking to you and your audience. The place has a great, welcoming, homey, warm feeling to it. You walk in here and you feel very welcome and um, it's you know it's not standoffish at all. It's just um, oh thank you so it's, much. It's a really yeah. nice place yeah. to visit. Well, it really we hope, is. We hope yeah. yeah. It's been a lot of lot of years. You know. Yeah, you that's, can see you put a lot of work yeah, into it. Yeah, that's yeah. Probably have to put a lot more into it too. You know, but we're having a lot of fun doing it too. You've done a great job. Yeah, you know, and you've preserved something yeah. that is I think extremely important. Well, having I, you I here really today do. to spread the information, because mm. most people don't know about us, you know. Well, and that's having, what we want to do. And this is yeah. wonderful to have mm-hmm. you here and help that. Uh, even the, even people in Salem, we've had a lot of our visitors will stop at a local store five miles from here. Do you know where America mm-hmm. Stonehenge is, you know? Today, GPS is helping that out a little bit. It you know? sure is. But people at the store will say, what are you talking about, you know? You know? And these people, can, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You know? so it's amazing. It, it, does, it does happen. People, it does how happen. can you not know? People within five <laughs> miles don't know about it. I had a gentleman here a month ago. My wife and I laughed at it. At the gentleman, but at the situation, he he's been here 25 years. He lives on this road out here, Havel Road, mm-hmm. about two miles from here. He says, "I've never even heard of you guys before." I say, "How long did you live here?" Oh, a couple decades. So you know, there yeah. you go. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is one of the themes of our <laughs> of our of our home website. There are adventures and there are strange artifacts, even in your own hometown. In your backyard, there are strange yeah. things beyond your imagination. And even miles. Yeah. You know, not a big state, so anybody in New Hampshire could come here very easily, you know. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'll bet yeah. you that there's a lot of people um, who just don't know about it. Exactly. Just, you know, Absolutely. And would be interested. Yep. You know? yep. So hopefully yep. this will... Well, my dad always said it was a well-kept secret, but that wasn't his intention, though, you know? No, let's (laughs) fix that. But in some ways, you know, in some ways, it kind of keeps it at a certain level, you know? Mm -hmm. You can still come here on some days. Like I said, I came here with my friend, and there was maybe a couple other people here. Solitude and enjoyment. Yeah, it was just a really nice day. We we had a nice day just walking. And not to sound like an elitist, but you want the people who are interested in ancient civilizations here. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that appreciates it, you know. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. And it has reverence yeah. for it. It's, 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 yeah. It is, a, to me, it is a religious site as much as a oh, absolutely. St. Peter's yeah. Cathedral or yeah. something. You it know, is, to it me, is it's, an it was just one. for yeah. a different Well, I don't know, Walt. I don't think that St. Peter's Cathedral was built, you know, 2,000 years before Christ. I mean, no, no, only, I mean, the religious intent. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I guess we're ready to wrap up. Well, thank you again for having me on. Thank you for having me, Eric. You did a great job. Yeah. I mean, the, the hour well, and almost hour and 45 <laughs> minutes went by. Well, you got to come back again. Oh, we will. We certainly okay. will. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. invited yeah. Eric to bring his yeah. wife and kids back. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think they would like it. Looking forward to that. Thank yeah. you so much again. Thank you. You're welcome. Al Landrin is pioneering a brand new frontier of fandom and collecting, set decoration reproductions. Landrin Artifacts is the premier location to purchase wall reliefs that are inspired from the temple cave carving seen in Raiders of the Lost Ark. His work also includes pedestals and stands for prop replicas. Al Landrin has several prints of his phenomenal artwork that's reminiscent of early H.R. Geiger's designs and traditional gothic horror images. When you see these products for the first time, you'll realize it's something you've always wanted but can never express into words. Check out Landrin Artifacts, but be warned, after getting one, you'll have to have them all. 
check out his webpage, landrinartifacts.com, or follow the link on our main page, thefedorachronicles.com. Battling daily whip fever? Sadly, there is no cure, only treatment. More whips. This podcast is brought to you by the Trinity Whip Company, proudly bringing you traditionally made kangaroo whips with top quality craftsmanship in form as well as function, handcrafted by Blake Brunning. You can find them at www.trinitywhipco.com and on the Metaphysical Connection main page. This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. That's also a great way to get in touch with Walt, Jim, and Eric, and let us know what you think of the podcast, as well as topic suggestions for a future show. If we use your suggestion, we'll send you a t-shirt or coffee mug. Just send along your size and preference with your email. You can be a part of the metaphysical connection between shows by joining us on our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook by going to our metaphysical connection group and following us on Twitter at physics laxative. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them. Yours should be too. Find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship, in form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. So for Walt, Jim, and Eric, this is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on.